Sorry for the delay, folks. There apparently our audio didn't want to work properly. <laughs> We're working now. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is Sun uh, Thursday, and it is the what is it today? Thirteenth um, of February, is it not? Day before Valentine's Day. Plain of love in the air, right? I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Welcome into Hoopsville on this Thursday evening. Plenty to talk about as the first regional rankings have hit the air. Or hit the hit the internet, I guess, is a better way of saying that. So we'll talk about them plenty, I am sure. Certainly a new top 25 out on Monday. We'll be chatting about that to some degree. Great night of basketball on Wednesday night. There's plenty to talk about in that category, though as as chalk a block as it was with really good games, it kind of went chalk. For those wondering what that means, basically not as many upsets as I, as I expected. And I don't even know if upsets is the right word. But um, things became a little more clear in some conference races. Mount Union defeated Marietta for the second time this season. Though Mount Union playing with fire there at the end. Um, and on the... On the... Well, and, I, and then I was at uh, Hopkins for number one versus number seven, Swarthmore at Johns Hopkins in men's basketball. That was a pretty darn good game. Even had a thrilling middle halftime. And there was plenty of other good games going on. So there's lots to try and figure out tonight. We're not going to get it all solved, but there's plenty to talk about tonight. And we hope you'll join us. You can tune in how you normally would tune in, and that is either as you're watching us now on our main show page or on the d3hoopsville.com website. You can also join us on the Facebook live stream, simulcasting there, facebook.com slash hoopsville. We're back on YouTube, youtube.com slash d3hoopsville. Finally got whatever shenanigans that was cleared up. As Drew is already chatting with us, we'll get to your comment there, Drew, in a moment. You can interact with us. You can tweet us at D3Hoops or use the hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. If you haven't tuned in and seen heard that address before, it's because I just realized I may have been forgetting that we had changed it and the D3Hoops one wasn't working. But Hoopsville at D3Sports.com is your go-to email address. We're on Instagram at D3Hoopsville there as well, though we usually use that primarily as a promotional tool. And if you're on Facebook, you can chat with us there as well. So lots of ways on YouTube you can chat with us, lots of ways to get with us, lots of ways to talk, and we have uh, lots of things to discuss tonight. Let's talk about guests this evening. Um... Somehow, I only booked one men's guest tonight, at least a coach. Uh, basically, my sleep deprivation, I think, got the best of me there. I did decide to leave out a region on the off chance I might need to sneak him into the show tonight, and that's kind of where this all led. But Steve Lammy, the Grove City men's basketball coach, will join us here in a short bit. Talk about his 11-game winning streak Wolverines and uh, how they're playing at Grove City on top of the PAC. That'll be fun to chat about. Uh, Lucia Robinson Griggs, the women's basketball coach at Vassar, will join us. She's in her first season there, former assistant at MIT, former associate head coach at MIT. Took over the program in September, and Vassar women are playing pretty darn well. 
Tanya Anglin will join us from Wisconsin-Eau Claire women's basketball. She'll be in our WBCA Center Court segment. Speaking of MIT, we talked about um, fundraising earlier in the year with their head coach. We'll talk more about fundraising and how important it is for women, for well, for any program, to be honest, with uh, Coach Anglin, especially her fast break program. Justin Heinzen will join us from Loris. I hope I said Justin's last name correctly. Loris is ranked 10th in the country and on top of the regional rankings on the women's side. We'll talk to him coming up as well about his program. Um, what else? Uh, and then Matt Snyder will join us. He's a Calvin grad, and we will talk to him about strength of schedule. He is the guru, as it were, mathematically in that category. So we will talk to him about how all that um, pans out. It is uh, an interesting conversation, to say the least. Um, really, what does the number mean? How does it work? Et cetera, et cetera. Lots to discuss along the way. So there's your there's your old get out, and we hope you'll enjoy the show tonight. Right, a reminder, uh, Sunday's show will not air at its usually scheduled time. Um, that is because I have some work I need to do that evening, so I will be unavailable. So we will be on air instead on Monday at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. So you've been warned, as they say. So tune in on Sunday. Or not Sundays, tune in on Monday. Um, we'll get to some results. I'm just double-checking that nobody is... Uh... Drew asked, the NACC getting some deserved love in the regional rankings. Both uh, Benedictine... And Wisconsin Lutheran and Edgewood women. Uh, yeah, I think Benedictine made some sense. Um, I don't see where you see Wisconsin Lutheran, unless you're talking on the women's side. Oh, I see what you did. Yeah, you were talking on the women's side. Sorry. Yeah, Wisconsin Lutheran on the women's side, along with Edgewood uh, and Benedictine on the women's side. Benedictine on the men's side is by, by themselves. Ranked, yeah, first regional rankings, let's remember here, not all the data being used, so these rankings will change probably quite a bit next week. Uh, the results versus regionally ranked opponents is not a data point being used. So rankings look good now. You get a sense of where teams are. On the men's side, um, I'm a little surprised that Stevens is as high as they are, but I know their numbers are strong. Yeshiva being in two is a nod to them in their, and their winning percentage. TCNJ to be in there with eight losses is a little surprising, but again, there's some numbers here that, that outweigh. When we get to the results versus region ranked, I suspect that will shuffle. That being said, the Atlantic region is also not all that strong, and so not surprisingly, um, we're going to get some teams ranked there that probably wouldn't be normally in another region. Central region looked pretty pretty set. The east region, I'm not overly shocked by it. Again, not a strong region. Uh, may get some at-large bids this year. Basically, the point is you, you get a sense of where they think things are. Next week, we'll get far more of that sense once all the data is in. St. Joseph's of Connecticut, who not only in their after 48 games is ranked for the first time in program history, they're regionally ranked eight. Not too bad at 17-2. and two. The South, there was uh, some kerfuffle over Emory and Randolph-Macon, Emory being ranked ahead of Randolph-Macon. 
They both have a common opponent in Guilford. Both teams have beaten Guilford and handily, and Emory does have a buzzer beater lost to, to Guilford. I think that ended up being a wash, especially when Emory's got a SOS that is .060, stronger than Randolph-Macon, and only you know four-game different in the win column, two-game different in the loss column. For now, Emory is, stays number one. We'll see how long that lasts. Interesting enough, the ASC has quite a few teams in, and that's a good sign. Center, I think you've got to be nervous sitting at four without the results versus reaching ranked being added. Once that's added, we'll see where they slot in. If You've got to be happy if you're St. Thomas and St. John's because the indications are you can probably get in that large bid. Everybody else, um, I think the alert's got to be out there that you may not. So interesting results on those regional rankings on the men's side. And on the women's side, uh, you see the slight differences in the committees. Um, the women's side, the SOS doesn't tend to play as big a role. I think the Great Lakes panned out exactly how I expected it. Hope to Paul Transylvania with John Carroll ahead of Baldwin-Wallace. The Mid-Atlantic certainly panned out about like I expected. I thought Albright might be a little bit higher, but that is an example where the SOS isn't strong and the committee's not going to go overly on board with Albright. Albright, of course, then lost again on last night. So, you know, the regional rankings, first one, I always gives us a, a barometer, gives us a sense of where things are. We don't overly get crazy about it, but it's a good idea. Top 25, as we said, came out. I meant to check if there were any big movers. There weren't a ton of big movers. New into the poll, St. Joseph's, as we mentioned on the men's side, St. Norbert, Benedictine, and Augustana filling out the bottom four spots. On the women's side, just two new teams, John Carroll and DeSales. Um, another first-place vote went away from Swarthmore, so they now have five voters of the 25 voting for somebody but Swarthmore. Uh, again, I got to see Swarthmore last night, and I finally saw the game. I've been waiting for him for a couple of weeks. Really good battle in the first half against Johns Hopkins. Probably about five minutes left in the first half. Swarthmore kind of put their foot down a little bit and pulled away to a slightly comfortable lead. And, you know, what is it, five or something? Second half, though, Swarthmore exploded out of the gate. They went seven of their first ten, while Hopkins went three of their first 14. Part of a 19-4 run. I think they might have even been larger than that because Swarthmore got out to a 20-point lead and I was just about worried that that game was over that it was going to be a dud of a finish when Johns Hopkins went on its own 11-2 run or 10-3 something like that stormed back into it got to within single digits I think they got as close as seven if memory serves they had led by as many as five in the first half the teams kind of went back and forth from there and then Swarthmore in the closing two minutes able to pull themselves to about 14 points. The game wasn't a 14-point game. Again, if that first half doesn't, or that start of the second half doesn't happen, or Hopkins can at least stop what Swarthmore was doing, Swarthmore was clicking on offense to start that second half, just chewing through the defense. If Hopkins is able to get some stops and hit some shots, that game's going all the way to the end. And then literally you're talking about a difference of, what, five minutes there? Shows you got to play 40. It shows you Hopkins isn't as experienced as SWAT. SWAT's got that experience, no surprise. Slightly better in a lot of categories, though. Best guard on the floor was was uh, with Hopkins, but the inside game of Swarthmore is pretty good. But I was glad to go to go to it for second time in Centennial history. 
The two top 10 teams took took to the floor. Both times have featured Hopkins, by the way. So hats off to Swathman, who stays undefeated. I, I Depending on how the rest of the week goes, I, I might consider going back to Swathmore with my first place vote. Uh, first loss in the top 25 goes, if you're going from top to bottom, goes to Hopkins. Hopkins is seven. I had him at 10. I think that's about as high as I want to put Hopkins. I don't, I don't think Hopkins, I don't know if Hopkins is a top 10 program, but they're darn good. Um, I'm comfortable with them in my top 25. I'm comfortable with them in the upper half for sure. Well, upper 15. Marietta, as we mentioned, lost to Mount Union. They're in this 15 hole. That'll be interesting. They're now 18 and four when Mount Union is 19 and three. Elmer's lost again. What's this? Four out of five games. This time to the Titans of Illinois Wesley and they'll have Milliken coming up. So Elmer's should get back on the winning side of things, but Milliken can be tough. But Elmer seems to be reeling right now. And if you read some people on the chat boards, it's all about defense. Babson lost again, this time the WPI, 75-56. Their without offering is Babson, and maybe I, I gave them a 24th place vote this week for the first time in several weeks. 23rd, because I thought they were starting to play well even without them. I might be wrong. Benedictine entered the poll and then lost to MSOE in overtime, 65-64. Augustana entered the poll and lost to North Central in a game that I don't think was as close as the 70-55 score would indicate. Um, North Central handled Augustana in that game. Augustana now 16-7. and In the receiving votes category, only one loss that I can see. It's Widener, surprisingly. So all those receiving votes at least have um, held firm or have not played. On the women's side... Uh, St. Thomas lost to Bethel. That was a big win for Bethel, especially coming off of that embarrassing loss to St. Mary's. John Carroll lost to Baldwin-Wallace just after going ahead of him in the regional rankings. So those two will probably flip in the regional rankings. All things even otherwise. Albright lost again, as we mentioned, to Widener, 69-68. And Albion lost to Trine. This is in women's. These are receiving votes category. So a quiet Wednesday. We had a quiet Wednesday last week and an absolutely nutty Saturday. Or I should say weekend. Um, crazy sequence last night. I'll finish the first segment with this. I was at that Swarthmore-Hopkins game. And I'm pretty used to seeing some strange things over time. And uh, this was a strange one. So the referees blow the dead with possession of Swarthmore's, Swarthmore's second half. By the way, if you were watching, you might have been confused. Hopkins was wearing their road black, Swarthmore in their home whites. It was a blackout night for Hopkins. Uh, so they blow the play dead. There had been a shot by Swarthmore that had missed the rim, but the shot clock had reset. And the officials blew it dead at one point, realizing the shot clock, which had gotten down to, well, it's, it's a couple seconds had come off. And so the official, two of the officials have a quick conversation. And I recognize two of the three, by the way. I know two of the three. And uh, the lead official goes over to the scorer's table to figure it out with the scorer's table, which also included live stats. They're in the middle of getting to an answer, from what I can tell, when all of a sudden there's a whistle at the baseline. Ball is inbounded, and the official is at midcourt not paying attention. He comes sprinting in, grabbing his whistle. I'm assuming he's going to blow it dead. Changes his mind, 
because his, his, his actions showed he was going to blow it dead. Changes his mind and lets it play. <laughs> it was an incorrect shot clock. It was at 16. That was not the time on the shot clock. That was incorrect. And uh, the official didn't want to overrule his, his uh, cohorts. The other one he had discussed this with didn't overrule the, the third guy. And to say things got a little testy would be an understatement. They gave Josh Leffler plenty of leash. Two officials did. The one who screwed up, I don't think ever talked to Josh about, or at least not in the, in the immediate aftermath. Uh, the one who was at the scorer's table went and talked to Leffler. That went as well as you can probably expect it. And then... The taller guy goes and at one point talks to him. And I could tell from the way Leffler was interacting with him. And a few times from what I could hear, the official was definitely giving him leash. And a couple times put his hand out like, okay, enough. And then Leffler would get a little bit more. And you get a hand and you get a little bit more. You could tell they were giving it, and rightly so. Long story short, at least it didn't dictate the outcome. But as I got wind through circles and sources as were today, that play has already gone out to officials in the greater region as in a do not do this. Two of those guys are, are aces, and uh, uh, they were called out for the mistake. One of them was the guy on the baseline. One of them was at the scorer's table. And from everything I can tell, uh, the word was, no, everyone's going to remember this game, and everyone's going to remember that mistake. And they're right. I have never seen that. I have seen many a time where an official's at the scorer's table trying to figure something out, Enough, another official either loses track of that or whatever the case may be and, and goes and blows, get the play in, and the official at the scores table immediately blows his whistle or yells or whatever he needs to do, shuts it down. Even, even on the women's side of things, they'll do it. I'd never seen the play continue. It, it, just insanity. And, and those I was sitting around, um, administrators of the game, we all just sat there with our jaws on the floor in, in disbelief as to what had happened. It was just it was one of the crazier sequences. Uh, officials are obviously human. As one official said to me, we're always going to make, you always fear about making the big mistake and you are going to make a big mistake. They're human after all, just as a, a, a player, a coach, whatever makes a big mistake. You know, you're going to make one. You just hope it's not a significant one or one that's in a significant game. This happened in a significant game was a significant mistake. And now at least the coaching ranks is, are talking about it. So an interesting it's an interesting moment, to say the least. Don't see a lot of you interacting with us. Don't know why. That's okay. You can find ways to interact with us however you'd like. You got questions for us? Tweet us at D3Shoopsill or, hi- or hashtag Hoopsill. Um, I hope everyone can enjoy it. If you're having trouble, feel free to, uh, to uh, jump over to the YouTube and Facebook. I didn't see anything wrong with our stream, by the way, in case anyone's tuned in. I got an email saying there might be one. Um, yeah, it's running smooth for me. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, Steve Lammy will join us to talk about the Grove City team. May not be talking about them on top of the PAC in the Great Lakes region, but after a really rough start, they've won 11 in a row. And most importantly, they're on top of the conference, looking to try and win the conference and advance in the NCAA tournament. We'll talk to him coming up all about that and where things stand. Over my shoulder and in the corner, you might see our fundraising efforts. Raised a little bit more money this week, but not a lot. Want to raise more. i got to fix the spelling on Monday there. Got to fix that M. Um, You see our goal by Monday. We're going to raise the goal whether we make it or not. So I'm just trying to get there a little easier. 
We'll be back with more Hoopsville from the WBCA and ABC studios presented by D3Hoops.com after this. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I just wanted to get good grades and to do well. But it also made me realize that I have a lot of career goals. You're there to get a full college experience, not only participate in your sport, but participate in things outside of that. And it's all about growing as a person. My coaches have helped me with figuring out who I really am. Their lives are dedicated for us to succeed.
Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this, the show on this Thursday evening. A reminder, we will be um, uh, off air on Sunday. We'll actually air the show on Monday instead. So uh, tune in then, as it were, and we will uh, get to it. Um, hopefully, um, lots to talk about from the weekend as well. Again, another quiet week to start things, but I have a gut feeling that we will uh, see a lot of action this weekend. In terms of results, though, as a top 25 voter, I wouldn't mind a quiet week. We've had quite a bit of craziness this season. Uh, I feel like my top, oh, I don't know, maybe maybe my top three I feel comfortable with. Maybe my top four. The rest of it feels like a free-for-all. Um, some teams in the top are not getting top 25 attention. We certainly focus on nonetheless. And I try and get around to as many conferences as we can. Got 43 conferences. By argument, we should easily get to 43 conferences throughout the season, but sometimes there just isn't any races to talk about. One race I've been quietly keeping an eye on is the Pennsylvania Athletic Conference race. And then I took my eyes away from it. And then I looked back at it, and I had missed that Grove City had entered the equation. They are now on top of the conference by two and a half games on Chatham. Remember, Chatham last year made it to the NCAA t- uh, tournament for the very first time under their uh, first-year head coach last year, uh, but in their fourth or fifth year um, running things. Of course, this is a different PAC with Thomas Moore gone, but Grove City has its moments, and we've certainly seen them over the years. They're having a moment, as it were, now at 15-7. and seven. But here's the crazier part. They lost their opening four games of the season, five of their opening six, and six of their opening nine. But now they're 15-7 and because they're on an 11-game winning streak. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's their head coach, Steve Lammy. And, Coach, you got to be pretty thrilled with how this season has now progressed. Especially after how it started, Dave. Yes, I am. Yeah, uh, absolutely after it started. Uh, again, the opening four games were losses to Hilbert, Allegheny, John Carroll. Of course, we, you know, pretty tough opponent there. And Franciscan. Got a win over LaRoche, which was significant considering LaRoche was in the conversation, and then dropped one to Capital. At what point were you guys like, okay, this isn't working right now? Oh, uh, we were on suicide watch for the first, I would say, month of the season. But <laughs> uh, part of it was uh, we had some injuries. The other part was that we were playing really good competition. And, and the third was we weren't very good at what we do a lot. And, and that took some time, even though we had so many returners from last year's team. Yeah, I was going to say, this isn't a young team. You've got some experience. No. Was, it, was there frustration from them? Was it, was it just maybe sometimes, and I've seen this before, you, you have confidence that you're going to figure it out, and out of the gate you all of a sudden realize this is going to take a little more effort? You know, I, I think a part of it was, our team had, the players had gotten together, and we do this every year. They set goals for the season. And this year, their goal was to win a PAC championship. Okay. And uh, in the back of my mind, I, I didn't like that goal, but, but <laughs> it's their goal, and so I said, okay, let's run with it. And And the reason I don't like that goal it was that we never play to uh, to win a championship. The goal has been to play to a standard. I mean, that's how mm-hmm. I was coached, and that's how I've coached ever since coming to Grove City. So I was getting away from my philosophy. So when you're 0-4 and, <laughs> and, and you realize that you know, part of it is you know, we're not 
being very good at what we do a lot, and uh, our guys were pressing, uh, putting a lot of pressure on themselves. And so we had a, a, a brief team meeting, and I said, guys, we're just going to go back to the philosophy, and that is we play to a standard and then let the results mm-hmm. you know, speak for themselves. Yes. And I think at that point, it, it, it helped us just refocus our energies on things that we could control, which was yeah. like jumping to the ball or closing out properly or blocking out or running our flex offense, rather than the outcome, which ultimately you can only control your own motions and your own body and your own attitude, and that's what we try to uh, refocus on. Yeah, somewhat taking the pressure off, uh, releasing the valve, as it were. Hey, guys, let's get back to just game by game and stop worrying about the rest of the season. Yeah. And, and another thing, too, to some degree is, okay, so you, you bungled the, the beginning of the season, great, but there weren't any conference opponents in that run. The idea of still winning a conference tournament can be there, but you, you just got to go back to the execution side. That's correct. And, and honestly, that, uh, uh, that conversation that we had after 0-4 We've never talked about it since. It's always, all right, hey, what are we going to do today? And we're going to play to a standard. What are we going to do today? Well, we're going to do what we do a lot. We're going to be good at what we do a lot. Mm-hmm. And so just that, that refocus on our bedrock philosophy, I, I think, has really helped us weather that early storm. Because they did believe in what we were doing. It's just that um, they were pressing a little bit too much. And like I said, it was tough competition. And, and so, and we were banged up early on as well. I, miss, I misspoke when I started. I said lost six of the first nine. Six of the first ten. I didn't do the math right. Um, after that, five losses in six games, you still ended up, unfortunately, losing two of the next five games, winning three, uh, a couple of them in the conference. You kind of split the conference out of the gate. Uh, the last loss, though, came on January 4th against Chatham, which we knew from last year was pretty good. That's when things clicked, and since then you're undefeated, uh, including a win over Chatham, 74-65. So that two-and-a-half game lead is really a three-game lead since you've got the tiebreaker. Correct. I assume it's all about confidence now. Is there? Do you worry about too much confidence, or is this where the team should have been? Uh, I don't worry about overconfidence because of uh, we played a, a non-league game mm-hmm. just last night against really good Penn State Altoona team, and, you know, sometimes uh, a non-league game late in the season can be uh, a tripping point because, oh, you don't take that game seriously. If it's a non-league game, you can rest. You know, there are a lot of psychological things that can happen. Mm-hmm. Never, we never mentioned it being a non-league game. It hmm. was a game on the schedule. We play every Wednesday, Saturday, and, and we're going to treat it like we do every other game. And I think that's one of the the blessings to, to, to our team is, hey, every game's the same, and and you play to the standard mm-hmm. to the opponent, and so I, no, there's no there's no overconfidence with us. I, and I think the other thing is that uh, our our guys are, are are smart enough to understand that the margin of error is so slim, yeah, that we have to play, you know. There are a thousand ways to play basketball. <laughs> at least at Grove City, we know that we have to play a, only that. There's only one path. There's only one way, and and our guys have bought into that. And so even 
if we start to color outside the lines while we play. I hear it from the bench. I, I don't have to, I don't have to call a timeout oftentimes and, and get them refocused. They're kind of doing that on their own. They're policing their own actions on the floor. And I think that's a sign of a, a, a humble team, a team that kind of knows itself. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you uh, to, to a larger extent. Uh, it's a good point, uh, especially if you don't have to remind them of the little things, if they're reminding them themselves. Yeah. Um, let's talk about this team specifically a little bit. Uh, as you pointed out, certainly a lot of experience coming back. Uh, you've got a handful of seniors. It's otherwise a junior-led team, to be honest. What, I've got two seniors and then about five, five or more juniors. So this yeah. team, while they want a pack championship this year, and you're certainly playing towards one, you're also building a little bit towards some longevity with this program. Yeah, we hope, but you know, so much of, uh, of that is what a, what a young man does over the summer. Mm. And we say that you know, a year older does not necessarily mean a year better. Right. You have to put in the time. And uh, I think our players, you know, especially in the junior class, I mean, there's some skills, skilled players there, but they understand that without the system, it, it just doesn't work uh, compared to the people that we play. So if they were good in the system, we'll, we'll be competitive. Uh, so, again, it, all we're trying to do is, uh, is repeat. Mm-hmm. And again, I... I I'm probably not a good interviewee because I'm saying the same things. It's just you got to play your own style <laughs> sure. and you got to believe in that. And our style is it, it, it's definitely an outlier. We, we play the flex offense, yeah. which is as old as I am, <laughs> and uh, uh, and we switch everything uh, uh, defensively. Okay. But we we know it, it works for us. It's not for every program, but for us, that's that's the one path out of a thousand. But let's be honest, that's a secret to, to basketball. Well, it's not even a secret. You really do have to be what works for you. And, and I think some of the best coaches are the ones who are willing to understand, listen, this system isn't going to work for these guys. We're going to have to find something different. Um, or they're able to get the recruits that work for their system. There, there's a there's hundred ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Um, you were an old Princeton-style guy. Now you've gone to this flex over the last, I don't remember what, but six-odd years. Yes. Was that because of the students you were getting in or the changes of the game and thus the students you were getting, or was it because you felt you just needed to do something different? No. Well, we, we, we were not having success with the Princeton offense that we were running the last couple of years that we were running it, and also uh, our pack line defense. Uh, and there are a couple of factors that go into that. One, we weren't... We weren't getting the shooters that we were getting maybe 10 years ago. Oh, okay. The league changed as well. So we went from like a, a seven-team league, and then, and then joining us was uh, St. Vincent, mm-hmm. or Westminster, uh, Geneva, all of those historically great basketball programs. Yeah. And so the landscape changed. Of course, another thing that uh, is not often mentioned is that uh, uh, you know, everyone's fighting for the same body of students True. And in an area where we're losing uh, a population in western Pennsylvania. So there's more pressure on recruiting and uh, discounting and things like that. So all of those things played a part in us having to change because we were playing, I would say, the same style as everybody else, sure. generally speaking. But it was insanity because we were we were expecting a different result 
not having the same, I would say, caliber of players. So we had to change. Uh, the old saying, uh, you keep doing the same thing over and over, looking for a different result. Yeah. Um, quickly, your, your, your top four, James Wells, uh, a senior, Justin Rice, a junior, Nate Peters, a, a senior, and, and Eric, um, is it Eric, my, Yes, Miners. Miners. I'm uh, trying to ignore the E there. Um, all four of them, I'm going to call in double figures. Miners is a junior, by the way. He's at nine and a half points a game, but 15 points for Wells. Rice at 14. Pete, Peters at 13. Um, we should also point out Wells is your top rebound guy. Statistically, we know those are your four top guys, but I, I can tell by looking, you go deep into a bench every single game. What else about this unit works outside of just running the flex and, and running a, a, switch, a switch defense? We try to play 12 players a game. Uh, now, some of those players are, are getting more significant minutes, just like the, the four that you mentioned. Right. And there are other players that may have limited uh, skills, or maybe they're a little bit slow, uh, and, and they're literally on on the clock for sometimes 45 seconds to a minute. And then we run somebody else in at that same position with the with the thought that uh, a fresh player uh, is going to be faster and, and more able to block out and do the little things than. Uh, Another player. So some of the, I would say the uh, the rank and file guys, mm-hmm. uh, they have to play shorter stints uh, uh, in order to be effective. In, for order, in order for us to be effective sure. defensively. Yeah, no, makes sense. Um, before we let you go, I want to talk a little bit of history here. You talk about trying to go for a pack championship. That hasn't happened since 2010. Uh, you've won four there, and, and and we've had some gaps here. But what's What's impressive is that, as you said, you've adjusted to what hasn't worked, and now you seem to have a team that can that can maybe get over the hump, as it were. Is this a team that can win the PAC championship? As much as you don't want it as a goal, is it re- is it realistic? You're asking me a question I don't even want an answer because I have a I'll focus. Yeah, because I'm going to give you the best coach speak <laughs> I can give you, Dave. Oh. We're focused on Saturday. <laughs> oh come on! And you know what? I actually I actually believe that. Like, sure, I, no, I, I get I'm brainwashed. That. And you know what? I, I was coached by um, uh, John Barr, who was my predecessor. Oh, well done, sir. I've got 20... a picture. Oh, you do? Okay. Well, he was just in my office uh, last week. He's 82 years old, uh, and, and he hasn't changed a bit. But, uh, and he ingrained in me this thought of, it's the process. You know, and back then, it was interesting because we, didn't, we were not in the league. We were an independent Division three school. Mm-hmm. And so the... 22 games that we played, every game was like our championship. Honestly, you know, we went into every game thinking that this is our NCAA game because there was nothing to play for right. afterwards. I mean, there's sure. no league championship, and maybe you get an at-large, but you knew how difficult it is to get an at-large, but right. that was our holy grail if we could achieve that. But we didn't look at that it that way. It was every game on the schedule is our uh, is our NCAA game. Sure. And hopefully I've brainwashed my guys to think the same way. No, and, and, and I get it. I totally do. Uh, and, and obviously, Teal's coming up. Um, Coca-Cola's got them supported, so it's a, it's a tougher challenge. <laughs> <That's right>. uh, <laughs> but it's also your last home game because you'll play two more on the road. So there's a lot of important things going on. Obviously, a win here, and you all but ra- wrap up the regular season title, which means you'll host at home. So obviously, the next game is the most important. Right. Yes, it is. Yeah, and after that game, Wednesday will be. Well, then, right, and then you move on from there. Yeah. 
Um, and you're rolling your eyes, I'm sure, because no. I'm giving you a coach speak. But oh, no, I get it. Uh, uh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I get it. Um, real quick, about your history, you're the third coach? If uh, I might have had that wrong. Um, in the program, you followed your predecessor in bar who coached you and you were an assistant. Yes. Um, you, there, you've been there a long time. Your wife is a women's soccer coach. So I hate to tell you, she's a, she has a few more wins. Yeah, she is the coach in the family, and <laughs> I admit go. that. I admit that. But what's it like to be, and, and, and your SID Briggs, he gave me a great stat, that there isn't a lot of turnover at Grove City, and there's a lot of ways to look at that. Um, but the way I want to look at it is that it feels like Grove City is a family. There's more important things than winning championships. Championships are great. We'll be competitive when we can. But what's it like to be in an atmosphere like that if I've, if I've seen it properly from my perspective? Yeah, I, I think you have, Dave. Uh, uh, well, and it's my alma mater, so right. uh, I know the culture. Uh, our, uh, uh, our athletic director, uh, Todd Gibson, uh, preaches Wolverines together, Wolverines together. Mm-hmm. And, and what's, what's fun is that in our basketball games, uh, we'll have half the football team in attendance. That's awesome. And when we go to the football games, uh, all 20 of us, <laughs> are, are in attendance. That's awesome. But it's just not football, basketball. It's you know us and volleyball and right. uh, volleyball and soccer. So th- there is a, a networking, I would say, of, of athletes on campus that really do support each other. And, and the other thing is, you know, th- there's not a separation. It's not uh, as if the athletes have uh, a different uh, academic standard than everybody else. I mean, you have to merit uh, acceptance just like everybody else. Sure. So. Uh, it, it is definitely a family atmosphere. No, that's cool. Uh, I, I'm glad to see you're succeeding. I know we run into each other often in the in the postseason, usually, at, uh, and I love seeing you. But it's fun to get you on the show, talk about the team. And go ahead, drink the Kool-Aid. It's working. You won 11 straight. Drink it. Drink it as much as you can, sir. There's nothing wrong with this. Uh, before we let you go, though, we always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I'm sitting here being interviewed by you, Dave, and I really appreciate that. But uh, uh, in my office, I, mean, I have a 16-year veteran assistant in Sean Severson. Mm-hmm. He's been my right-hand man, and honestly, he's the associate head coach. And I am, uh, I am blessed to have someone with that much experience, but also someone with that much loyalty that he's been with me. I mean, we, we think the same thoughts, um, and, and our success... Uh, is directly attributable to to his efforts as well. That's great. Uh, you're very much like Worcester in that sense. There's not a lot of long-term yeah. assistants or associates uh, in that case, and, and that's very reminiscent. Um, congratulations. Uh, Thanks, I Dave. look forward to talking about Grove City as the season progresses here and towards the end. And I, I know I'll run into you down the road, but I, hopefully it's with your team. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care of yourself, sir. Take, take care. Steve Lamming joining us. Here on the Hoopsville uh, Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. And by the way, Grove City women, take a look at them. They're third in that conference right now. Uh, Coach Fuss has them uh, two games out of first place from St. Vincent, and they're 19-3. and three. Fun times at Grove City. And that's what I love about this sometimes. We don't always have to talk about the teams that we talk about every single year. There are teams like Grove City that are going to emerge, and sometimes uh, it's worth taking the time to chat with them and get to understand a different version 
of Division Three, Coach Lammy, appreciate his time. Thanks to Briggsy, their SID, as well. We'll take another break. When we come back, switch gears, talk women's basketball. Coming up, um, who is it? Oh, yeah, it's Vassar. Coaching change and still doing pretty darn well there. Uh, we'll talk to their head coach coming up. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More after this. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division Three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us to be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us, to to stop stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. I used to never really talk. Ever. I was scared and shy. It was hard to look at people's faces. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. I made friends and won lots of gold medals. But I learned more than just playing golf. Special Olympics helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless.
Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Sorry about the audio in the last segment. Uh, a little bit different on the phone. It's one of the reasons I've actually, in the last few days, even a week, I've been looking into doing the show differently in terms of tech. You can't see what I've got. I've got a large uh, audio board. I've got a telephone system. Back when we built this studio, that's what was needed because cell phone interviews were very difficult, especially in this studio. We have no service in here except thanks to Wi-Fi calling we do now. So anyway, long story short, in the last few days, I've been debating about getting this kind of cool new board that would really help us and kind of slow easy things up a bit. But it costs about five, six hundred dollars, um, certainly more than this board cost. Uh, anyway, I might do it now that we did that. But see that that fundraiser up there? We're going to need your help to get it done, <laughs> to be blunt. Uh, if you want more information, we'll tweet it out, though. It's it's pinned at the top of our Twitter account. It's also pinned at the top of our Facebook account. But we'll send out some information on that. And if our audio is a little off for the rest, uh, for the next few minutes, don't worry. I'm, I'm tweaking it to get it back to where we were. Women's basketball, Vassar women's basketball has had some pretty good seasons over the last few years. Um, of course, uh, one of the coaches we've had on the show is Candace Signer-Brown, she has done amazing things at Vassar, uh, a disciple having played under one of our friends in Bill Fink. Bill Fink, that's a former photographer of mine uh, in, in my TV business. Anyway, um, she moved on to Swarthmore in the offseason, and Vassar uh, needed a new coach. And they didn't hire one until September when they finally got one on board. And yeah, a little rough start, kind of like we just talked about with Grove City. Uh, they lost uh, two of their first five, and, and we can keep going. Basically, before Christmas, things were about 500. But since then, certainly playing well. And in the Liberty standings, they are a game back tied with St. Lawrence of Ithaca. So I figured, when you have a first-year coach and you're in the battle, let's go talk to him. Joining us on the Hoopsville's, um, <laughs> the Hoopsville Hotline, presented by Blue Frame Technology, easy for me to say, is Lucia Lucia Robinson Griggs and coach, I blew it right out of the gate, but you can correct me uh, nonetheless. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to Vassar and uh, welcome to the race here. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And it's uh, Lucia. Lucia. See, I knew it. Yeah. I just couldn't get it. Um, right. Game time. So this job, I, nothing against Vassar, but I think this job opened up. This wasn't a late opening if memory serves. I thought Swarthmore hired and I could be dead wrong on this. But I thought Swarthmore opened up a bit earlier. To be hired in September has got to be nervous. But what drew you to the job, and what made you th- what made you think this was the right place to go? Um, well, just Vassar as a school and as a basketball program. Um, prior to this, I had been teaching um, high school math for the better part of 13 years, Lovely. and also an assistant at MIT. And so I got to experience this great meshing of two worlds, you know, that high academics um, can also go along with focused and driven goals on the athletic side. Um, And I've gotten to know Vassar a little bit better over the years, um, knowing um, Coach Senior Brown, um, and we've sort of kept tabs on each other and kept in touch from working camps before. And so knowing just the values that she puts in um, to her players and her programs on and off the court, um, I knew that this would be a great situation. Um, coming into a program that was 21 and 7, maybe a lot and have its own weight, but I knew that Vassar would be a great fit um, in terms of how I envisioned um, being able to build a program and sustain success 
um, and have a place where, um, you know, I could feel that home and that my family could also be a part of. Yeah. Well, first off, you had a long tenure at MIT and became associate head coach there. We had your um, former boss, as it were. I know more of a, maybe a partner in coaching yeah. <laughs> uh, is a better way of saying that uh, on earlier in the season. And they have certainly come a long way. But again, as you p- pointed out, uh, 21 and 7 was the campaign last year. This was a program that Candace had been building uh, with a lot of success. Unfortunately, the finish to last year did not go the way they wanted. Uh, they ended up winning or losing five of their last seven, uh, in, but got in the NCAA tournament. And then unfortunately, Geneseo tripped them up. You must have come into a program then that was kind of itching a little bit to prove that the end of last season was not the team that they were. Definitely. So we kind of talked a lot about that and the elephant of the room right away and just really tried to put as great as some of those accolades were that they had last year, just kind of really put that into a box and say, like, this is a brand new year. We had a new offense, a new defense. Um, they had already had a really great culture in place. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to come in and sort of put my own spin on that and be able to grow together. Um, as you kind of mentioned in the beginning, definitely some hiccups right away early, um, but things that I think have helped us grow into where we are right now. Um, you talk about, uh, I guess, I guess the, the, the attitude, as it were, of what had happened last season. And again, this, this program that had been built pretty well. How many, how many players were coming back? How many did they lose from last year? Um, so they lost, um, I believe, three seniors. Okay. But in terms of who was coming back, we had four starters returning. Um, we had some people off the bench that also were used to contributing off the bench. Um, so I was coming into just a really good situation all around. We had um, five first-year players and a really just solid resume um, for them that uh, Coach Brown and Coach Maddox left behind. I should point out, by the way, Coach Brown was hired at the end of July. So September's about the right timing. Uh, for a job to for Vassar to hire and get you in place. What was the first thing you did, by the way, once you once you were on campus with the with the position? Uh, well, a little bit, I would say, like drinking water from the fire hose. Um, <laughs> you know, there's starting in September, the team they're already moved in, they're in classes, um, and just there's a thousand things you want to do, and it's just really trying to narrow it down. You know, you want to get to know them, you want to learn everything you can know about Vassar, you've got to talk to the recruits, you've got to handle yeah. all the administrative stuff, um, but I think I just tried to really dive into all things Vassar, really keep things open door, um, which is also difficult with the team because we can't work with them until October 15th. So I can't, you know, organize a bunch of meetings. And so just kind of having an open door policy, if they wanted to pop in, they could. Um, But just really trying to nail down all of that sort of administrative stuff and getting to know about Vassar and getting on the recruits um, and just sort of trusting that with that culture in place, they would be doing the right things during that preseason time so that we could hit the ground running together on October 15th. The, the, the gremlins of last season seemed to transition a little bit into the beginning because you guys ended up 6-4 and four in the opening part, stanza, the 2019 side, 5-4 and four before a win over Castleton down there in Naples, Florida. Um, there had to have been some, oh, geez, what are we going through? But you also point out new offense, new defense. There was a bit of a steep learning curve here. How much did you change? A decent amount, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And um, they were receptive to that? Yeah, they were definitely receptive um, to put it 
uh, like the last coach, Coach Lammy, you just had, they were definitely drinking the Kool-Aid um, <laughs> and trying to, you know, figure it out. And, you know, as with any sort of new changes, there was a little bit of hesitation. But I think sort of in my work ethic and in my preparation, I think they saw, you know, that I was here, that I understood who they were as players and that whatever I was putting in offensively or defensively wasn't just because, you know, I saw it in a book and thought it was a great play that I really (laughs) thought, you know, it would fit with them. And so they really tried to buy into that. And we watched a lot of film together. We talked about things, you know, I would point out like we're running this play because I think it's good for, you know, X, Y, Z. I think we can isolate this person. I think we can showcase this person at any given time. We're talking to Coach Lammy also about uh, systems that fit what you have uh, and that even he changed things because of what they were then getting as recruits and understanding that sometimes that doesn't work anymore. We need to change. So you're bringing in a new system. How much did it fit, though, with what you've got? And, And understanding that you have won none of your last 11. So clearly things have started to work. Is it a system that fits what you've got? I definitely wholeheartedly believe so. I think it was a little slow going um, at the start. Um, But as I said, sort of talking with them, showing them on film and showing them how I plan to sort of showcase their individual skills, I think Mm -hmm. really helped um, with some of that buy-in on the system and just really trusting like, okay, you know, if you go set a screen here and if you drive here, this is what's going to be open. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like the more they just kind of went all in, um, and focused on those aspects, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're good here. Sure. Uh, Again, one, nine of your last 11, the two losses at union and at St. Lawrence, the St. Lawrence (laughs) game in overtime. Uh, you've now split the season with St. Lawrence. Um, but your scores are all over the place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Clarkson and Bard, you put up 90-plus points and held them to 40s. Uh, Union was a 48-45 game. St. Lawrence was a 79-77 game after earlier playing them 56-51. Is that because certain teams are dictating things and not necessarily you? I would say so. I think in the Liberty League, it's just such a great conference. Like It's so competitive. It's so fun. Coaches really scout so well. Um, and I think just in certain situations, teams do things that really bother us and it kind of takes us, um, longer than I'd like to, to figure it out. Um, and sometimes we just kind of get into those modes and it's difficult to get out of. Um, but one thing I like is, and I keep reminding the team is that we've faced almost every situation we possibly could so far this year, like the overtimes, the double overtimes, <laughs> having to battle, you know, when a team comes back and yeah. for us having to be that team that comes roaring back. And even though it hasn't always worked out in our favor, like it, every single step of has gotten us ready for um, this big conference push. Yeah, you're definitely a big push to say the least uh, right now. You have Ithaca to come. You also Mm -hmm. have that rematch with Union at home tomorrow, followed by William Smith. That's a big weekend. And then you'll finish with the Ithaca-Rochester Tech on the road games. So obviously a lot still to play for. I want to talk about your individuals a little bit who will kind of lead the way here. Sophie Nick leading the way at 14 points. Jackie uh, Sennon? Yes, Sennon. I got one right. 12 points What about the next one? (laughs) I was was going to drag my heels a little bit here. Yes. Pezza. Uh, Issa Peasy. Oh, my goodness. No yeah. way. <laughs> yep. Issa Peasy is an awesome name, yeah. but when it's spelled P-E-C-Z-U-H, I don't get Peasy. Yep. That's, a That's m- all right. I, I called her Pexa until October 15th. 
That's that's even better. Um, <laughs> Twelve points a game for e- Isa Pisa. Did I say that right? Isa Pisa. PZ. PZ. U H makes me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, if I was calling your games, that her name would not look like that on my roster. Uh, and Ryan Dorio, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool too. Nine points a game. Um, Nick, by the way, near double double. She's a smidge under the ten rebound mark. So you've got an interesting kind of group here with four players, kind of your main assist players in in Senan Pizzi, Dorio, and we didn't mention Gouli. Um, they're all averaging monster assists. So you've got a a lot of different looks. It feels like. Yeah, and one of our big emphasis um, points of emphasis this season has been the assist game. And I just keep telling them, like, we are at our best when that ball is moving and everybody is getting touches. Um, and, like, one of our goals is we want to have a positive. Um, sometimes it's a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. In some games it's been a three-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, um, which is difficult to get. But just chasing that and really embracing that aspect of, like, we don't need one person to get it done every single night, that we have so many people that can contribute. Um and we really embrace that thought. Uh, you uh, are a little bit of a fish out of water. You talked about coming to Vassar and certainly a very familiar university. But I don't believe you, you've had anywhere of your collegiate playing or coaching years, if, if memory serves, outside of, let's call it the Boston Beltway, uh, I-95. Uh, Leslie University, MIT, uh, you were at Bentley, uh, is where you attended school. What's it like to be... To be blunt, out of the out of the New England area, um, it's been different, but it's been kind of a fun experience. I think being in the New England area for so long, it's like you know who the teams are inside and out, whether you play them or not. You kind of you just get a sense, and you know like who the big players are, who's going to be in the conversation all the time. And so coming um, to Vassar and being in the New York area, um, it's just been interesting, even travel wise within the Liberty League. Um, and getting to know the teams, the other coaches, getting to know the officiating in the area. Um, it's been it's been fun. You you also seem to be a good fit for Vassar, what they're trying to do academically. Vassar feels like a school that would like to be a Swarthmore, but hasn't figured it out yet. Uh, and I mean the sense of all their programs succeeding and consistent and, and the student athlete not being um, looked upon as something that's a bad thing. Um you you were a double major at, at Bentley in sanity, mathematics yeah. and psychology while playing Division II basketball. Um, and then you went to Leslie and MIT, and, and you've got a deep-rooted, from my vantage point, understanding of a true student-athlete and the high demands of education. How much early on is it helping you at Vassar? It's helping me a lot. I think the students here have so many priorities and it's a little different than an MIT that's a little more um, engineering focused, like being at a liberal arts school. um, We've got people all over the place. We have um, some players that are studying to be teachers or Mm -hmm. psychologists and then others that are Um, Mm pre-med. And so balancing some of those things with the labs that they need to attend, um, office hours and sessions that they need to go to, um, at times our practice times can be a little all over the map. (laughs) Sure. Um, but it's just kind of that flexibility piece and really understanding like they want to be here. They want to have these goals. They want more banners in the gym. 
And so just maximizing the time and making it the most efficient as possible on any given day, if we can only go for an hour and a half, then making sure that that is a difficult and focused hour and a half. Or if we get a two-hour window, um, just really making sure that they know everything they need to know within that time. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I can appreciate it. I went to a liberal arts school myself, though I wasn't nearly as high academically minded uh, as some of these students, have, I wouldn't have gotten into Vassar. They wouldn't even. They would have taken my application and sent it to the shredder as fast as possible. Uh, let's just be realistic. Uh, again, Union and William Smith coming up this weekend. Ithaca, Rochester Tech on the other side. Four games left before the conference tournament. I know you're chasing Ithaca. I, I, whether you get there or not is probably irrelevant. You're ranked sixth in the regional rankings. Is there at least a sense now with the team, hey, We've got an opportunity here to still be playing after March 1. Yeah, there really is. And um, I think some of that newness, um, I think they're feeling in a really good place with some of the challenges and things we faced. As you said, like last year, they had this incredible um, win streak, and then all of a sudden the wheels came off a bit. And we've already faced a little bit of that adversity. And so... I think just really reminding them um, the whole the old cliche of you know trust the process that we yeah. have all the tools we need to be successful and it's just a matter of going out and executing with confidence um, day in and day out because especially even in these next four games we can't get ahead of ourselves um, and can't take anything for granted in this league. Sure, totally understand. Appreciate the time, great insight and uh, and and understanding of how it's all working. Vassar isn't one of those schools. I think that's on a lot of people's radars when it comes to athletics, and it's fun to talk to you guys when the programs are, well, not even when they're succeeding, but when, when there's fun stories to tell, and uh, I appreciate the time. As always, yeah, we give, you so much. Absolutely. As always, we give the coach the final word, though. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuned in? Uh, one more cliche for you. Okay. Um, yeah, just get out there and enjoy the journey. I think really being open-minded and having a growth mindset and bringing that presence of mind to everything that you do is uh, the most important piece. It may sound like a cliche, but that's good advice. I appreciate that one. Uh, Thanks for the time. Good luck the rest of the way. Enjoy it, and we'll look forward to talking to you somewhere down the road with this program. Thank you. Absolutely. Coach Robinson Griggs joining us here on the show. Again, the uh, team has won nine of their last uh, last 11, got four games left, big one against Union. They'd love to to avenge that loss to Union earlier in the season. Uh, And William Smith this weekend. Ithaca and Rochester Tech, as we mentioned, on the uh, other next weekend. And then they're all chasing uh, Ithaca, though they're only a game back. Things, hey, it's possible. We'll see what happens. Real, real fun to chat there uh, with Coach. Of course, she was at MIT. If you were on this, sh- uh, listen to the show often, you'll know our first, one of our early WBCA uh, Center Court segments was with their coach and talk about fundraising. We're going to take another look at fundraising from a different point of view. Wisconsin Eau Claire women's basketball coach Tanya Englund will join us on the other side of the break. Talk about their fast break program and why it's been so successful. Our hope is maybe you as a coach or you as a program or you somewhere can take some ideas from these segments to help you as well. We'll find out more from Coach Englund when we come back. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. 
We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. I used to never really talk, ever. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we continue to roll along. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can also uh, email us, hoopsville at D3sports.com. If I ever say D3hoops.com, ignore me. I just ha- can't get the uh, the old way out of my head. Um, of course, we're also on Facebook where we're simulcasting the show. We're back on YouTube simulcasting as well. But I want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology for their help as well. All right, so WBCA Center Court, unfortunately, um, didn't have one last week, but that's because when I jumble up my schedule... 
it doesn't necessarily fit with everybody else's, uh, which why Monday's show might be interesting. Anyway, earlier in the seasons we talked about, we talked about fundraising uh, and how it's so important, especially in Division Three, because in Division Three sometimes you got to raise your own money to offset or, or to supplement is probably a better way of saying it, the school's budget so that you can do more for your program. There's only so much money in Division Three, right? Well, I want to continue that conversation, as it were, talking about fundraising and understanding it and, and what works and what doesn't work is probably the best way of saying that. Um, I, I was going to have the live picture, but it doesn't seem to want to work. But we'll get it to get going here in just a minute. I'm just going to stall while I look for the shot because I know it's there. There it is. No, it doesn't want to work. We'll get it. Don't worry. Uh, joining me on Skype, and don't worry, you'll see her in a moment. Uh, joining us on Skype. Oh, there she is. Popped up. Uh, Tanya England from the Wisconsin Eau Claire door joins us in the WBCA Center Court segment. A little bit of a delay there. Coach, thanks for taking the time. And uh, uh, congratulations, first and foremost. We'll talk about the season because you guys are having a great season. But thanks for taking the time to talk about this a little bit. Fundraising's kind of a little bit in your heart, is it not? It is. Um, it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I have kind of a real interesting playing background in that I played Division One and I also played Division Three, and so I, I saw both sides of the experience. Um, and when I came to the Division Three level, I really wanted to work hard for those things that you were talking about, so that we could afford my athletes the very best, so that they could excel. And that's the thing is, and of course you're at a state school, so the funding can be quirky. Um, you. you it, it's a state school, so you know what the funding's going to be, but it can be up and down, up and down quite a bit. You really, there's a, there's almost not a pressure, but there's a thought that if we fundraise, we can at least stabilize. Is that is that a fair way of saying that? Well, I actually have to say here at UW Claire, we are very blessed to have um, tremendous support from our university. Um, our players do not have any um, fees that they pay or anything to play. Um, but my fundraising goes above and beyond to make sure that we can travel. Um, that is a part of their basketball experience. They can see the country. I look back on my experience as a player and the traveling and seeing the different parts of the country. I only did that mostly because of playing. And so we do those extra fundraising events so that we can help our players travel and also provide them the very best in our equipment and in their experiences. Um, yeah, I think I've seen you possibly uh, around the country. Uh, I may have seen you somewhere. A little bit, yeah. yeah just yeah. In Vegas or something, some cool in place. Vegas, like, yeah. Vegas? I think in the last four years we've been to Vegas, we've been to Dallas, we've been to Nashville, and we were in Florida this year. Fully fundraised trips for my players, where all they have to do is um, to bring spending money. And because this is a very high academic school, my players have above a 3.5 GPA. I do the fundraising. And they do great in school and they give back to their community. Um, and that's something that I'm passionate about. That's my job. Um, their job is to be great student athletes. Um, the fact that you give back to the community is one of those things I just love in Division Three in general. But let's talk about the program that you use in terms of fundraising. Uh, this is a, un I don't know if it's unique is the right word, but I'm fasc fascinated by it. It's called Fast Break. Can you give us a little bit more of an understanding of what that is? Because it's not just some fundraising program that you're using to raise money at Eau Claire. It's, it's bigger than that. It is. It is. It's 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 become bigger and bigger every year. It's in its 12th year now. Um, started completely grassroots from a conversation I had with my advisory committee that I put together and the president of our foundation here, Kim Way. We have such tremendous backing and fan support. You can see it behind me in the picture that's behind my desk. 
um, that we felt that it was not only fundraising, but friend raising, and that we wanted to bring our community closer together. And through that, that we would be able to fundraise for our players. Um, we have over 175 members as a part of our organization. They all um, are on board as members. Um, but through that, they also um, come to members-only events after our game's over where our players take the microphone. They speak about their experiences. And so through that, we have grown our basketball um, community closer and closer to become a closer family. And I believe one of the huge things that you do in fundraising is that you make sure that your donors know how they're making experience in the program, where their money is going, and how that is elevating what you're doing. And so we do a great job, I think, as a staff of making sure that they understand how we use that revenue, what we do with it, and how it's benefiting our student-athletes within the Division Three rules. So that's, that's the thing, is you're almost inviting the community to invest in the program, in the student-athlete, the student, really, is probably a better way of saying that, so that they feel like they're helping with that experience. That's That feels a little bit more unique. I mean, you, we can go out there and fundraise. We can go out there and uh, find advertisers, for example, or sponsors. But they don't – that's not necessarily a relationship. This feels more like Absolutely. a – almost like a stock and bond type thing. You're You're literally investing. I don't know what they're getting back necessarily outside of being happy with what they do. But is that a fair way of saying it? It is a fair way of saying it, and I think they do get a, real, a lot of return from that because through our fast break receptions after our games are over, they they are a part of a family. They know the person that they're sitting next to at the games, and you can come to our games, and the picture behind me shows you we have parents that are in our fast break, but we also have professors. We have alumni. Wow. We have season ticket holders. We have people across the country that are invested in our program, and they tune in to watch us and to feel a part of that. And that was my goal when I started this, was that you, you hit it right on the head. If we win a championship this year, they invested in that championship because they are giving our players opportunities to focus on school while I do the fundraising. That's amazing. Um, again, you, you talk about the experience you had as a D1 student athlete and, and getting to see the country um, and then coming to D3 and understanding um, it's a little bit of a smaller world, as it were, in, in sense of traveling. This, this hybrid, I've seen a lot of schools do it, but not with this technique. Is this a technique that can work at other places or is it that you found a niche at Eau Claire and it's working there and it may be challenging elsewhere? No, I I, I really believe that this can work in a lot of different situations. I will tell you, so much of it is acknowledging your donors. I write personal thank you notes, timely personal thank you notes to every one of our donors. Um, I know the people that are in our fast break organization. I know the people that come to our games. So much of fundraising is to show your gratitude. My players who are tuned in tonight, they understand what fast break has done for our program through the years. That's why they join as alums as they graduate and give back to the program. And so it's through the generations. But I will tell you I, I, what I found from fundraising is so much of it is that it is personal mm. and that you make sure that your donors understand the difference that they're making in your players' lives. Uh, by the way, I'm looking at the uh, the PDF that you guys have online, and it's fascinating. Do you have you, – you mentioned around the country you have people, and I can imagine alums move, but do you have anybody who's involved who's not necessarily associated with Eau Claire? Do you get investment from those who just want to see those student-athletes have – 
good experiences. I, I do. I have um, people who hear through the grapevine about our organization. They happen to see us maybe play on the road. They like what we do on the court. Um, maybe they drop me an email. I give them the information about our program. I will tell you, anybody who invests in our program, I make an automatic member of our, our fast break program automatically. Okay. Um, and everything goes through our foundation on campus. All of the money is through our foundation. But the club itself, I have all of those names. And then they get newsletters. They get updates from us. As soon as um, you asked me to be on this program, every single one of our Fast Break members received an invite to, to listen tonight so that they can see we are doing something that's really unique and special. Wait, hold on. There's pressure? I mean, there's people. There's pressure. You have people out there. You've got a lot of blue gold people watching tonight. Yes. Great. I just thought the AD would, would be putting pressure on me. <laughs> I kind of I know him well. He's a good man. But now you've added this other level. Uh, I have I, to say, too, I, a personal thank you to Dan Schumacher and to our chancellor, Jim Schmidt, because they they have this big vision of what we do here at UW-Eau and they trust me to do this fast break vision that I've had and are very super supportive of it as well. Side note, Dan and I have had some wonderful conversations. I completely agree with your point of view on that. Uh, and obviously you're a lot closer to it. Um, and, and by the way, in Vegas, we kind of saw that take shape where you guys, this is going to be a cor corny say, way of saying it, wined and dined your alums or, or benefactors. But in reality, you thanked them because they also made an effort to come out and support the student athletes there in Vegas. You saw it. We had professors that made that trip yes. out to yes. Las Vegas. Um, this year when we were in Florida, we had close to 100 people that traveled with us. Wow. And again, this is completely grassroots. I do this on my own. I have my longtime assistant, Coach Peg Johnson, who helps me with some of our informational things. And we have our foundation who takes care of all the money investment. But it is one person um, doing this. And it is a 175-member booster club. We've raised over a quarter of a million dollars um, in the 12 years that we've been in existence. And so it's amazing. But it is, I think, goes back to it's our donors and it's people coming out on the road and supporting us. And my players also being genuinely appreciative of the unique things that we have here. Who's coaching in the meantime? <laughs> <laughs> I do that, too. What? <laughs> um, yep. And absolutely love it. And I will tell you my background. I played division one for two years at Wyoming and then I transferred to St. Thomas. We won the national championship the year that I transferred there. One thing that I am passionate about a division three that I love as a coach is that I do get the opportunity to do everything. I wouldn't do well. I think as a person that was just maybe in charge of running camps, sure. uh, that's not my, I like to have my fingers in everything and I want everything to be excellent. And so this is really unique and special to me that I have an opportunity to kind of brand this booster club to be blunt i i know a ton of coaches who do camps there's only so many camps that people can go to get a good experience and, and maybe be a fundraiser for an organization i almost feel like some coaches have got to start thinking outside the box this is taking a d1 concept of a booster club and we know about d1 boosters that's a different conversation Different, and bring, yes. And bringing it Division Three within the rules of Division Three. Do you get a lot of calls from others saying, hey, I want to start this kind of program myself? No, you're the first one that's actually invited me to talk about it. That's why I was pretty excited about it. And, um, I mean, definitely within the rules of Division Three, 
um, it, it does have a different, unique brand to it, and that's what I like. I, I was a part of it um, Wyoming. We had a great booster club there. Different type of feel to it. Um, at the Division Three level, you have more of a friend uh, raising atmosphere and yeah. our, uh, booster club socials after the games are over. Um, they're just tremendous. I have players that take the microphone and speak about their experiences. I have alum come back and speak about what the fast break club did for their experience. Um, it's just passed through generations and it was a vision that we had when we started. I don't know that we ever thought it would get this big, but a lot of my advisory club members are watching tonight too. And they really got behind me and helped me to pull this together. We're trying to do fundraising on this show, and I think I've taken the completely wrong tact. I clearly <laughs> need to come up with a booster club. That's what I need. Um, let me, let talk me know about if the, I can help. Well, I'll call you. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, let, let's talk about the team real quick because I, I want to get back to you and, and your background in a bit, but I want to talk about the team before we lose track of it. 15 and 7 on the season, and kind of with the theme of the, of the night, rough start to the season. Uh, won your first game, lost your next three, lost four of the first six, uh, lost five of the first eight, I think. I could be doing my math wrong again. No, it's eight. Then it clicked. What clicked? Because now you're sitting in the standings, uh, a game behind Whitewater with, oh, by the way, they're coming up. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what clicked with this team at kind of around Christmas? Uh, it's it's a, a long story short, but I'll tell you that we had what we felt was a championship team last year. Yeah, uh, we had two ACLs, one to our leading um, scorer, uh, two yeah. broken hands, four concussions. It was like nothing had ever gone through as a coach in my yeah. 26 years. It was a championship season that we thought um, yeah. was just really really tough on us because of all the things that our players went through. Coming back this year, if you look at the beginning of the schedule, um, you'll see that Laura is on there, who you're talking to next. Yes, Wartburg, Bethel. Um, I, I lined up what is one of the best schedules that we could have potentially lined up. And we were still coming back and trying to get ourselves to the point where we were before we got hurt and also bringing in some new faces. It took us a while and it took us longer than I thought it would take, mm. to be honest with you. Um, but I've done this a long time and my players are listening tonight and I'll tell you they are um, they're like daughters, they're family. We've gone through so much. And I told them in my playing experience, you go through things to win a championship. And we did last year. Um, we went through all the ups and downs and it's made us better this year. And even though we lost to the Wardbergs and the Lorises and the Bethels, who I have so much respect for, it is the reason why we're in the hunt right now in the WIC is because we played the kind of schedule that we did. And I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. I hope our strength of schedule will pay off at the end of the year as well. Uh, if your players are listening, tell them to close your ears or players, close your ears for about 15 seconds here, because I'm going to remind everybody last year was it felt like you guys hit a wall due to those injuries, losing nine straight to finish 11 or a 10 of your last. Uh, uh, again, can't do math. And I'm usually a math guy. 10 of your last uh, 12, I think it was 13. Um, yeah, I mean, I know there were high expectations. That's got to be tough to deal with in the offseason. And then to come in and still not get out to the start you wanted. And yes, tough schedule. Don't disagree with that. But to get out to that start and not see the success, there had to be some tough moments in the locker rooms. You know, to be honest with you, there may have been, I think, some tough moments from the outside looking in on, you know, people trying to figure out why we weren't there yet. But to be honest with you, in the locker room, we just kept on going back to work. 
Um, that's the kind of coach I am. And I come with complete faith in this team. And I tell them all the time, I'll never give up. We'll never sit down. And that's what we've done is we've just continued to try to figure it out. Mm. Um, and that's why I have a feeling about this team. I believe in them. We've gone through what we have to to win a championship. Um, my leading scorer, Hallie Hefner, um, was the player of the year in the WIC last year. She's yeah. back this year. She's having a phenomenal year. And this year she has the help that she needs. Anna Grasscamp, who was our leading scorer last year in ACL is back and is now playing to the grass is her nickname um, standard. And um, it's pretty exciting to see this team come together. And I will tell you playing Whitewater on Saturday in Zorn Arena at home. Um, it's what I came to Eau Claire for um, those games in Zorn Arena to win a conference championship, to be in the hunt. There's nothing like it. And I've been throughout the country. I've been in a lot of gyms, Zorn Arena, Zorn Arena, and our Eau Claire crowd is really special. Yeah, we should point out, big game coming up at home, win that, split the season, tied in the conference race with two more to go, Plantville and Lacrosse, who's Lacrosse being right behind you in this race. This, this Wyack race is fascinating. I know Whitewater's the big game. How do you see that one matching up? How do you see it, how do you see it playing out? We should remind everybody, beginning of January, is a 67-41 loss at their place. But how do you think it shakes out this time around? I think um, high respect for Whitewater and their staff. They do a great job. Um, it's interesting. Carrie would probably tell you the same thing. It mm -hmm. seems like um, we've always played well in Zorn Arena against Whitewater, and they've always played well at Whitewater when we go there. Um, and I think we're a different team than we were the first time that we played them. It's been a long time. Um, but it really is, I think, will tell us where we're at. I, I've been telling people that this team is one of the best teams. Uh, you know, if you're at the top two in the WIAC, I think you're one of the best teams in the country. We've seen the Wartburgs. We've seen the Lorises. We've seen the Bethels. Um, we just weren't there yet the first time that we played them. And sure. so we're blessed with this schedule to have it the way it is and for us to have this game in Zorn on Saturday. Um, before I let you go, you were telling me about the coaches you played under. And the uniqueness, especially in Division Three, can you just kind of give everybody a sense of who you basically learned the game from? Absolutely. Um, if you can follow this, yeah. uh, I played for I played for Rusin, who is the current St. Thomas coach, actually at Hill Murray High School. Um, a tremendous mentor, one of my very best friends to this day. Ruth played at St. Thomas as well. Right. When I graduated from Hill Murray, I got a Division I scholarship to the University of Wyoming. Hmm. Played for Chad Lavin, who was also a close personal friend who went on to win a national championship at South Dakota. Mm -hmm. I played for him for two years, a little bit too far away from home for me out in Laramie, Wyoming. I decided to transfer back to St. Thomas. I'm from St. Paul originally. Transferred there in 91. We won the national championship the year I transferred to St. Thomas. It's the only national championship in the history of the women's basketball program over there. I yeah. shout out to my teammates. Um, I played for Ted Reverso at St. Thomas, who is now the <laughs> Augsburg coach. Yes. And a very close, close friend of mine as well. We scrimmaged this year. Um, and then I, my mentor during the summers growing up when I went into coaching was Bob Erdman, who is one of the all-time winningest coaches in the state of Minnesota for college men. He was at Gustavus for years. Yes. Um, so I look back on my playing career and I was truly blessed to play for great coaches who taught that Division Three. Um, offer something that's very unique and special. And I found a home when I transferred to St. Thomas. That's why I'm so passionate about Division Three athletics. To put you on the spot a little bit, the goings-on with St. Thomas and the Mayak 
and where their future may be. You, you've got to have some mixed thoughts on that, I'm sure. I, I will tell you that that national championship banner that hangs at St. Thomas for women's basketball, um, we won the national championship game by 18 points. <laughs> Um, Lori Trow, who was my other, uh, the two of us were all Americans on that mm-hmm. team. Lori is the head coach at Gustavus now. Um, it was a special and very unique experience. We beat uh, a great Donna Newberry team in the uh, national championship game. Uh, and looking back on my experience at St. Thomas, um, it's a phenomenal place. And I, I just want what's best for the institution. Sure. I look back on the MIC and I have such fond memories of the MIC. Um, it's just like the WIC and that you have those matchups and you have the history and those types of things. And um, that's what I, I'm so fond of. Um, but I wish them the best. And I want them the very want to have them the very best, too. So whatever is best for them, I'm on board for that as an alum. Absolutely. Sure. Makes total sense. I appreciate the uh, the thought on that. Uh, again, big game going. So we'll let you go. I, I figure you also have some fundraising calls to make or, or at least receive. <laughs> By the end of this, I assume anybody yep. who's interested, if you have time, they're more than welcome to contact you if they're interested in learning more them. about this. I would love for them to contact me. And I taught the coaching minor here for years at UW-Eau Claire, and I'm passionate about teaching and mentoring and passing it on. And so if there are coaches that are out there that want more information on what we do, I would be happy to share it with them. I can I can hear the passion in your voice, Coach. It's so fun to talk to you Thank about you. it. Uh, Thank we you. Have- we have a tradition on the show. We always leave the last word to the guest. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? Absolutely. I would give everybody advice that one of my favorite books um, is called Make the Big Time Where You're At. Um, I read it as a player, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that um, your approach and where you're at, that you make that a championship experience in your job and how you coach. If you're coaching grade school, if you're coaching high school, my players that are out there listening, I say to them all the time, what's your why? Um, whatever your why is, you do it passionately every single day. And um, that's the beauty of it. Division three is that we make it the big time where we're at. Well done. Uh, you're doing great. Congratulations. I love Thank this you. fast break club. Appreciate the uh, time, uh, the extra time, really, as I look at the clock. Uh, and take care. Good luck against Whitewater. Good luck the rest of the season. I'll look forward to talking to you down the road. Thank you. Absolutely. Tanya Anglin joining us from Wisconsin, Eau Claire. Again, big game against Whitewater and then Platteville lacrosse. But that fast break club, fascinating. Um, if you want more information, she said, go ahead and contact her. I don't know where she's going to have time. She's got a game and she's got to write those thank you notes. Um, I'm not a huge thank you note guy. If my mom's listening, sorry, uh, that one didn't rub off very well. Uh, one of my regrets, but I'm impressed that she does it for all of those, uh, donate, uh, those who donate to the program. We'll take another break. When we come back, uh, stay with the women's basketball theme and, and the, team that she mentioned earlier, ranked 10th in the country, Loris, who's sitting on top of the West Region rankings in the first ones out. We'll talk to them about uh, the season there and why no one's talking about, well, not no one, but why we're not talking about Wartburg in the ARC. You listen to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops Hope after this.
College has given me the flexibility to pursue my passions and my interests, and I've recreated my identity for myself aside from just being an athlete. My greatest personal discovery has been that I am capable of doing things that I didn't know I was capable of doing. To be able to study what I wanted to and continue to play the sport I love, all of those things came together very nicely in one package in Division Three. Cheer for the stumbles. That he should have had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. It's on us. It's on all of us and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I coined my definition of success in 1934. My definition of success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction and knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. It's like reputation and character. Reputation is what others perceive you to be. Character is what you are. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we cruise along here. Don't forget, coming up, we'll talk to Matt Snyder. He's our SOS guru, as it were, at least for men's basketball. Women's basketball, it's a little easier to figure out the, uh, the uh, math for the SOS. Uh, but Matt figures it out on the men's side. We're going to talk to him about um, some of the quirks about it, but also to get you to understand it better. So, yes, show going a little bit longer. All right, women's basketball, continuing this kind of crazy theme, uh, not just theme, but we have these great connections with programs. Our Vassar coach was at MIT. The MIT was about fundraising. We had Eau Claire on 
they had to do with fundraising as well, learning more about how you can fundraise for your program. Of course, Eau Claire played Loris earlier in the season, and now I'm not having Loris on. It's a crazy little road we travel on sometimes. Loris women's basketball, 21-2. and two. Uh, Probably one of the least talked about teams in the top 10 uh, as they enter the top 10 this week. Uh, they were lone loss to Luther, interestingly enough, 80-77. I shouldn't say lone. They had a, they got swept by L- Luther is what I was trying to say. 76-66 in their second game. So Luther has figured them out, but nobody else has. And they've got a big game coming up next week against Warburg. They actually have this weekend off. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, the head coach of Loris. Uh, it is Justin Heinzen. And coach, thanks for taking the time to join us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just realized our mic was muted. Maybe just when I brought the graphic up, hopefully not for the whole segment. If it was muted, people will start yelling at me. I know they will. Uh, they didn't miss anything exciting except for the fact that you guys are 21-2 and two on the season, 12-2 and two in conference. Interestingly enough, Luther has your number. Uh, they've beaten you twice now, 80-77, uh, to 76-66. Yeah. Uh, have you asked for uh, the MIAC treatment and have Luther removed from the conference? <laughs> No, they're uh, they're good, and they're, there's a couple teams in our league that are super senior heavy and talented enough, and, and they're one of them. And they certainly got us twice. Yeah, um, interesting enough, they got you twice, but nobody else has. Is it? Is this right. one of those occasions where it comes down to matchups, and sometimes the matchups just don't work in your favor, no matter what? Yeah, it is a massive thing, um, no question. And they've exposed some things uh, that other teams haven't, just with mm. some of their physicality. So, um, you know, learning process, right? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, you're also ranked, by the way, top of the, of the West region rankings. Um, that had to be, I mean, listen, being in the top 10 of the top 25 at D3 Hoops, I'm sure it is a feather <clears throat> in the cap. But to be on top of the rankings as well, knowing what their impact is for the for the postseason, that had to be that had to feel pretty good. Yeah, we uh, certainly. I was on the rack for a while and, and kind of know the process. I thought mm-hmm. we had a chance. Um, and, and with Bethel dropping one last week, I uh, thought that was real. Um, so we're happy where we're at. I, obviously, there's work to be done. Uh, sure. And But to, to celebrate that is certainly no small feat, especially with uh, what I feel is a jam-packed West region. Yeah, the West region is fascinating this year. You've got you've got a competitive MIAC with four teams in there that all season yeah, have no been doubt. really good. You guys have made the ARC race a little bit more fascinating because we've all had our eyes on Warburg. Now you guys have entered the fray. Well, not entered the fray, but made it certainly a little bit more daunting. And as we mentioned, Luther, while 12-9 and on the season, has been really good in conference play. The the Skyac, I think, is underrated right now. The, the Of course, we all know, know how the Northwest Conference has played out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To some degree, to be on top of the fray in the West region is saying something. Yeah, and um, you know Luther Luther got us twice, but we we had a couple real close games against some of the heavy hitters, and mm-hmm. uh, we're lucky enough to squeak away with those. Eau Claire was one of them, and um, you know Warburg and Simpson games are real tight as well. So we won some close ones that that you need to win. I think you need to be a little bit lucky as well, and we'll take some of that too. Yeah, sure. Well, luck can go a long way sometimes. <laughs> um, this team was twenty two and six last season, fourteen and two in conference play, but again, it felt like Warburg was the one that overshadowed everybody. You guys were sure. right behind them, but everybody talked about how good you know, Warburg was. Uh, the season before, though, two back-to-back 17 and 10 seasons, has this been um, building? Did you know you got a recruiting class or a couple of classes together there that 
that this kind of success was building for a couple of years? Yeah, we, we knew we felt good coming into this year. Uh, prior to that, you just learn a bunch of stuff about your teams, kind of through your teams. And um, I thought last year's group just paved the way in a different leadership and culture capacity than, than teams before. Not that they were, they were wrong, because you can do leadership a thousand different ways. But uh, I think we found a pretty good blueprint uh, with that. And um, you add some talent and now some experience to it. And that's a, you know, that's a big piece. You've got... Um... Well, when I look at the roster, you've got a handful of seniors. Yep. Uh, you've got a lot of freshmen. We do. And you've got a good chunk of juniors and sophomores. So where is, I assume the seniors are leading the way, but where is the heart and soul of this team? Is this still a young team per se, or is it an upper class team? Well, we start three seniors and two juniors. Okay. Um, and and that's the way it was last year, too. Um in a way, it, you know, we, we, we very much play a team game and, uh, don't talk a ton about, we talk a lot about roles and, and where we should be playing to our strengths and things like that. But, um, we really have a team that doesn't care who scores. And mm. I think that's helped overall. You know, when you lose some dynamite players year after year, um, you wonder who's going to step up, but people do. And, and we've had the same thing this past year. Um, so I think that's a, it's a formula that's worked for us. Not that it's right, but, uh, it's been, it's been great for us. You're in your, what, 13th season, I believe, at Loris? It is. Um, this program's, I don't want to say come a long way. That's a horrible way of saying it. But you guys have, <laughs> you guys have kind of been the, the, we're very typical above 500, but not sure. like world-breaking seasons. You've been a steady program, I guess it is. Is mm -hmm. it feel different to be kind of, at the top in a top 10 ranking and a number one regional ranking, is this a different experience or is this something you guys have, have, and eh, doesn't feel different. I, I don't know how to ask that anyway. No, I got it. it it's something we're very transparent about on our team. Um, you know, we had really, really high expectations going into this year uh, and had some experiences along the way last year that I thought might've prepared us for, for a pretty good run. Obviously all that's got to come together. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but, um, we have come a long way. I, my first year here, we had, we had eight players on our team and, um, I still feel bad for that first class because I was a 25 <laughs> year old head coach, but, um, yeah. we've, we've learned a lot and learned a lot through each other, I think is, is the most important part. And we really like sat down at the end of last year, knowing kind of what we had and still try to learn, um, some better ways to do things. And, uh, just constantly changing. You were still seventeen and nine that year, <laughs> nine and seven in the conference. So it might have been only eight players, but yeah. you, you got the most out of them. It's a great story, I'll have to tell you one time. All right. Well, you don't want to tell it now, or is it one of those lengthy stories? Sure. We. Uh, oh, you can tell yeah, it. Go for I, it. I got the job in July uh, as an assistant coach. Um, came from Lakeland, and mm -hmm. uh, October first, our head coach left uh, for a Division One job. She's now the head coach at Dayton. Oh, she's um, successful, you're saying? Yeah, she's all right. <laughs> so it was October 1st, and we're two weeks away from season starting, so they couldn't really hire anybody else in, in that short of time span. <laughs> so we started the year 10-0. and 0, Wow. Um, and they gave they gave me the job after that, the interim basis. And then we lost like six in a row. Um, <laughs> so you pulled the wool over your, their eyes, and then they realized. <laughs> no more pressure, and we just blew it. No, uh, It was a fun ride with that crew, and... Um, I'm really loyal alumni yet. I, I appreciate that crew. I, I, you learn a lot by doing, and you know mm -hmm. nobody writes, writes the book on that first go around. Um, 
and you, I just learned a lot through them. That fits the oh by the way category. Uh, so yeah, coach right. is left, and oh by the way, you're interim. Good luck. <laughs> Um, you got practice in two weeks and we wish you all the best. Um, so what is, what, what is, what should we expect from this team? Uh, You're led by uh, Mackenzie Kramer, uh, with 14 points a game. And we should point out, you got four players in double figures. Mackenzie Kramer's at 14 and a half. Also at 14 and a half is Marissa Schroeder. Uh, Courtney Schooner is at 13 and a half and Carrie Fitzpatrick at, at nearly 12 points a game. And I want to thank all of them for having names I can say tonight. Uh, and I don't want to forget uh, Riley Eckert. Uh, she's at nine points a game. What is it about that group, at least from that unit of scoring? When I see things like this, I feel repetitive on the show, but when I see a lot of double-figure players, and most of them basically your starting unit, it tells me defensively you can't key on one or two people. You have to watch out for everybody. Is that fair? Is that a good representation? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and Riley's been a... She was all conference performer last year. Mm-hmm. She's really come on lately. Uh, last five or so games has played a, at that level. Um, and we really feel like pick your poison. Um, mm-hmm. and they do a really good job with that. They don't, I, I really believe that they don't care who scores it and, and whose number gets called in any certain game. I think McKenzie was going into last night our third leading scorer. So, um, and that, you know, that'll continue to shuffle, I believe, too. It, that tells us the story of those four, and you, and you mentioned Riley making it five. I look yeah. at the roster, and you go deep in most games. It looks like, let's see, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in most games, you're going to be willing to go deep into the bench, if not more. Is there other parts of this team that doesn't jump out of box scores that would help us understand how good the Dewhawks are? Yeah, so we said. We sat down at the end of last year and, and we had one of the better offenses in the country numbers wise and, um, mo- all of that returning basically, um, minus a few pieces and, and really wanted to do something with more possessions for us. So, um, to a credit of a part-time assistant coach that works for full-time in a huge capacity for us, Eric Gruber, we brought on, um, and he was kind of a press guru. And so now we run and jump all over the place and we like our depth, um, I don't, I don't know if statistically it's going to jump out off the page with a bunch more people averaging double figures, but, um, they do a really good job in their roles. They provide awesome stability. And, um, we thought that was the case preseason wise and they, um, that has been the case all season long. Now, when their number is called, they can certainly step up and do it. And we've had a bunch of players that have had great mm-hmm. games individually, but they still know like who our big guns are and, um, they fill that role really, really well. So. Defensively is where it starts, uh, for sure, and we force a bunch of turnovers and, and try to play fast just so our offense can get more possessions. Uh, Warburg ahead. Uh, that's obviously, yeah. though, in a week's time. You're not playing them till Wednesday. You kind of have the weekend off to uh, relax, rest up some wounds, as it were, um, and get ready for that game. There's some trepidation, I'm sure, with that. Gets everybody out of the, the sequence, as it were, or the routine. But you've got that big game coming up on Wednesday. You got them at their place by, what, four last time, 82-78. How do you make sure they don't do the same to you? <laughs> I'll, uh, I don't, I'm going to have to ask my assistant. I wasn't at that Warburg game, so um, my assistant Britt took it over. Oh, I missed and that. Them out. Um, so you're not going to go to Wednesday's game then? That's right. That's I right. got you. The Makes odds sense. are better. We're, um, <laughs> and she did a great job in that game. Um, it's really hard to watch on computer, but 
She knocked it out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a part of that is... Did the computer survive, control. by the way? <laughs> it wasn't yeah, broken? It was, I was alone for sure, but it was okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you were saying... Um, you know, we, we got close in the conference championship last year to them. And I, I feel like prior to that, they had such a swagger and they still do. They're, yes. they're unbelievable. Um, that nobody really knew they could get them. And, and just by sniffing that closely, uh, a year ago, I, I think we had a little bit more confidence and, um, now knocking them off. Yeah. It doesn't guarantee anything for Wednesday, obviously, sure. but at least gives us a little more hope, um, that it can happen and, and that we're playing a team that's human. <laughs> um, I can and, understand and they're that. still going to be really, really good, right? But um, it gives us confidence, and that's a huge thing going into that game. And you know, to try to play loose and free is a big deal with our team, and and that's how we're going to operate. And then, obviously, after that, you got one more game against Nebraska Wesley. And I'm going to ask this: I know you're not looking technically past a Warper game, but do you also sure. have to be concerned? Some people may not believe this, but worried about the trap of it, of it all. Of you, you got the war the Warper game, and then. Nebraska Wesleyan, oh, okay, whatever. We can beat them. Do you have to worry about that on the backside? I, uh, on paper, maybe. I, we we're, Actually, we talked pretty extensively about like regional rankings and okay. the importance of that one game, right? And, huh. I, you know, I think um, we were in a dogfight with Augsburg a year ago on that last spot, I thought. Um, and we're really transparent with our team on how important this one game is, regardless of who we're playing. And we're old enough, I think, that you know to understand that. And um, so I'm not, I'm not too worried about a trap. We're going to prepare for it just like we would Warburg and um, go in with the same expectations. Sure, makes a lot of sense. Uh, I appreciate the time. A fascinating uh, team, fascinating season. You guys have played really well. You play some good opponents too. Uh, Washu, who may not be having their prototypical season, but they're always tough. Mm-hmm. Oshkosh, Eau Claire, uh, obviously the conference games, including Warburg. Um, right. you've had an interesting season and a trip to San, uh, San Juan. Uh, that must have yeah. been an interesting trip to Puerto Rico. Quickly, before we let you go, what was it like to be uh, on the island? It was really fun. Um, it was our seniors' idea, so we did it. And uh, it was a, you know, I don't know, a trip of a lifetime, right? And the, you play outside in a way, so it's an open-air arena. Yes. We found out quickly that you just can't shoot it the same way. Um, ah. So luckily... <laughs> We had some length and a pretty good zone that weekend uh, to, to hold off some teams, but uh, yeah, shooting percentages are way down for the entire tournament. <laughs> was it? It was. I mean, I'm going to ask the stupid question here. Was it windy? It was. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just curious if it was abnormally windy or just windy in general, or was it that just air circulating in general was throwing things off? That's what I was kind of curious about. Oh yeah, it, it was. Uh, it was probably more air than just wind. Okay. Elevated enough, but still interesting. It's still different. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I appreciate the time. Like I said, uh, good luck the rest of the way. Good luck against Warburg. I know I'll tune in on Wednesday. I, I won't do it. I think my computer will survive it. Um, <laughs> and we'll look to see if you're even on the sideline. I, superstitions. Yeah, right. You might just say, forget it. Depending on halftime, right? Right. Even better. I'm not walking out there. <laughs> uh, I've ruined this. Uh, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuned in? Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you know, my first year, I'm not sure D3 Hoops existed or I didn't know about it because uh, I'm sure you guys did. But uh, after that, I I think for 12 years, I've ca- I've caught every episode in the background of watching film or something like that. Yeah. I know you got a family, too, and another job as well. Yeah. Um, so 
it's a crazy investment that you you and your team make, and I appreciate it, and we all do. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think you probably heard my son come in and say goodnight to me. I did. It yeah, was, yeah. It was nice. Yeah. Uh, well, the, that's what happens with a live mic in the background, right? Uh, <laughs> he's he, 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 he's fascinated with the show. Someday you'll see him. But I appreciate that. Thank you for the kind words. For sure. Uh, good luck the rest of the way, as I said, and we look forward to talking about uh, the team and to you soon uh, down the road. All right. Very much. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Take care. He has Justin Heinzen, head coach of the number 10-ranked Loris Duhawks. By the way, I just got a text message saying the donate buttons uh, were not working on our screen. I wish people throw a flag on me. Let me know. I will fix those, hopefully, in the interim here. Um, probably me being lazy on copying pasting probably screwed everything up. So I will try and fix that. In the meantime, we'll take another break. When we come back, we will talk strength of schedule numbers, primarily on the men's side. But we'll also give you an insight of how they work on the women's side, but really why it's different on the men's side. Is it a number being used properly in the sense of when you talk SOS, do you understand what it really means? What are quirks about it? And is it is it right? Matt Snyder will join us. He's the guru on that map. And Calvin Grad, we'll talk to him about it all coming up. You listen to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will after this. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. 
We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I just wanted to get good grades and to do well. But it also made me realize that I have a lot of career goals. You're there to get a full college experience, not only participate in your sport, but participate in things outside of that. And it's all about growing as a person. My coaches have helped me with figuring out who I really am. Their lives are dedicated for us to succeed. I just wanted to get good grades and to do well, but it also made me realize that I have a lot of career goals. You're there to get a full college experience, not only participate in your sport, but participate in things outside of that, and it's all about growing as a person. My coaches have helped me with figuring out who I really am. Their lives are dedicated for us to succeed. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we continue on on a show that we were expecting to go long versus me just making it go long because I was talking you got questions for us, and you might in this next segment, you can tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can also join us on um, Facebook or simulcasting the show, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. It is, as I said, being simulcast there. You can uh, join us on YouTube, by the way, youtube.com slash D3Hoopsville. We're back up and streaming there thanks to... I'll be nice and just say somebody reported a violation of copyright with us, which was completely erroneous. And they apologized, and, well, it didn't get us back our two weeks. Anyway, there you go. Uh, you can also email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. Lots of ways to contact us. Hope you'll figure out how to do it and chat with us. All right, so strength of schedule. It is one of those parts of the criteria that I think a lot of us end up hanging our hats on, along with win-loss percentage, because it's an easy number that we see in front of us. We don't have to do research on who a team faced, what their head-to-heads were, what their comparables were, all of that jazz. It's also a number, I think, that isn't fully appreciated and isn't fully understood. And I think some people think that that SOS is somehow like an RPI, that it represents a strength of how good a team is. It does not. But how does it math out? The women do it one way. The men do it slightly different. And that's true across Division Three. Lots of, te- lots of different groups do this differently. So I figured, you know what? I got to get Matt Snyder on the show to talk about this. He's the guru who does the math on the men's side that we at D3Hoops.com link to. We don't have to link to him for women because it's easy math and our system can do it. It's harder math on the men's side. So joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline via Skype, it is the aforementioned Matt Snyder. Sir, I tip my hat. Welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time. And how are you? I appreciate it. I also like the headset. It's a great look. Um, all right, let's 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 start from the basics of this. The SOS, t- 
takes the opponent's winning percentage, meaning whoever the team played, their opponent's winning percentage, and it multiplies that or it adds that into the opponent's opponent's winning percentage, meaning whoever your opponent has played. And there's a weight of basically two-thirds of it on the opponent, on your direct opponents, and a third on, on the other side. Is that a fair way, just in that central part of that, is that a fair way of trying to figure out a team's schedule strength? Yeah, so the basis of the strength of schedule is it's two-thirds of your opponent's winning percentage. So who have you played and what has their record been? And then one-third of that component is the, your opponent's opponent's winning percentage. So each team you've played, who have they played, how well have they done? That combines together to try to give you a strength of schedule, which is a record of how good your schedule is, not necessarily how good you are as a team. Is it a fair way of measuring the strength of schedule? I think it's um, a fairly easy and simplistic way that the NCAA has set up to measure a schedule. Um, I would argue it's maybe not um, particularly a mathematically rigorous way to do it, but it's kind of a simple, consistent way that they've agreed uh, to do it for now. Not to put you on the spot a little bit here, but is it, what do you think in Division Three could, could work better? Is there a math that could work better? Um, it's hard to say. I know Division One has kind of gone away from this model. They've gone to what is it, the net ratings now, or yeah, something like that. Net, and yeah. I, I don't even know what that's comprised of. Um, it might be fair for Division Three to look at something like that in the future. Um, I think from where they were before the strength of schedule as a primary criteria, I think they're leaps and bounds above the quality of win index. Um, if we, we, I don't think we want to go back there. Um, but uh, it's maybe a for now solution. It could be probably improved as the uh, um, following maybe more of a Division One model. I know Division One's gone away from the RPI for whatever reason. I don't know the RPI. I don't know this stuff well enough. But why is, does an RPI not work for Division Three? Uh, RPI is a little bit tricky for Division Three, uh, a little bit because of how isolated the regions are. There's not as much maybe cross pollination uh, as Division One. Um, it's also can be um, it, the RPI is just a kind of a, also a simplistic calculation. How much the strength of schedule weighs into it, and in an RPI calculation, it's um, you know 75% strength of schedule, only 25% winning percentage. So I think some people feel like the strength of schedule in the RPI can be too heavy handed. Okay. And that's where the net has come in Division One, but we don't need to go um, deep in that. Um, okay. Now, on the women's side, that's the SOS. It's opponent winning percentage, which takes two-thirds of the math, and their opponent's opponent's winning percentage, which takes one-third. And by the way, we should point out, Matt, your result against that team does not factor in, correct? And that's important because you ultimately could screw yourself by winning. Yeah, that's correct. So if you play a team and they're 24 and one at the end of the season because you beat them, you're the one the one loss in their schedule that comes out of the math. So in your math, they look like an undefeated team. So I think that's important to realize that how you do against them does not weigh into your own schedule strength. Um, OK, so the women, that's their math. And that's why our system can do it basically as long as our schedules are correct. Found one tonight. That's wrong. We're going to have to figure it out, but it's not going to make that big a math difference. The men put in a weighted side of this, and I know why they did it. They put in a weighted measure to say, okay, if you go on the road, you get a, an extra bonus, as it were, for playing that team. If you stay at home, you're going to get a little bit of a lesser bonus. The idea was to get some teams out of their buildings, and I fully endorse that. But how does that actually work? 
in their math? What What is the premise of how they're supposed to do that? So, yeah, you're correct. I think the goal of this is to say it's harder to win on the road than it is at home. So if you're going to play a team that's won 45% of their games on the road, it's like playing a team that's won 50%. 55% at home is maybe more like 50% on a neutral site. That's the goal. Um, how it's being executed, the math that I'm seeing when I'm trying to create uh, recreate the NCAA's strength of schedule data is that that's not really how it's implemented. I think the problem arises that they put in the multiplier, um, which is 1.25 for a road game and 0.75 for a home game. They're applying that um, multiplier to your opponent's wins and your opponent's total games played when they do the math. So it's kind of like multiplying the numerator and the denominator. And um, really what it does is it doesn't change the difficulty of each individual game. It just changes the impact of that game on your schedule. So if you play a really bad team um, and it's on the road, then that gets magnified versus playing them at home. So the, the really weird quirkiness of the, of, the, of the math is it's actually better to play bad teams at home currently than it is to play bad teams on the road. Which is, is tough to eliminate because sometimes you have home and homes or you get a team that just has a dud of a season. So that's an interesting quirk. Is that always existed? As as far as I know, this kind of quirk has existed since they added the home away multiplier portion to it. Um, hmm. And you're right. If, if the, the effect of having home and homes is just that the multiplier completely wipes out, um, which I guess would be the case anyway. Uh, but so that's just your, the, the team's total strength is what it is. Um, it's kind of like playing two games on a neutral site the same way. Um, but what, for whatever reason, when they put in the home away multiplier, it looks like the math kind of got all wonky on the NCAA side. All right. So here's the other part of this. You have argued for the last few years that at first the math was solid. Well, relatively speaking, mm -hmm. that the multipliers were working the way they were, that we could see a, a true strength of schedule outside of the quirk that playing a bad team on the road was killing you. Now you've seen a change. What has changed and why should it be, why should we know about it? Uh, I think, I think really, so everything that I did lined up perfectly before, before the multiplier was implemented to me, to me, the only change that has, has come about was when they tried to implement the multiplier um, and, and how that did or did not really um, have the right impact or the impact that they wanted it to on the team's strength of schedule. So uh, to me, I, I was perfectly happy and fine with everything they were doing um, pre-multiplier days. Um, I really, really, really like the idea of the multiplier, but I've just not seen it implemented uh, in a way that makes sense. And I think it's kind of um, giving us some um, erroneous results here. So what were they doing? And I'm saying they being those who do the math of the NCAA. This is not a committee yeah. thing. This is this is in a whole nother department at Indianapolis. What are they what were they doing with the math and what do you think they've changed? Uh, it's hard to say exactly. Um, and I think you make a good point that this is not the RACS or the National Committee that's doing this math. This is they're getting the ma the data from the NCAA, the data they think they're telling them to get. Um, and then they're making the decisions based on that and they're making good decisions based on that um, somewhere in the NCAA. Um, I don't know exactly how or why it changed, um, but when they threw the multiplier into the mix, um, they were no longer com computing individual game opponents winning percentage uh, and opponents opponents winning percentage the same way as they were doing it before. Um, like I said, they, they seem to be adding a mul the multiplier in there to kind of the, the, the wins 
portion and the games played portion for each team's um, component schedules for their opponents and opponents, opponents, opponents. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're 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 doing it seemingly in a different way than before, and it, it's hard for me to see exactly why that is from my from my math. I just kind of recreate it and can see the end result, um, but I I don't know the steps as to why that is. Because at one point you did talk to those at the NCA to get an understanding of how they were doing the math. And then when it changed, you had to figure it out. How, how significant is this change? Uh, I think it could be fairly significant. Um, I was looking at some um, numbers. Uh, you know, Yeshiva, for example, I think the difference between the way, um, you know, maybe they used to be doing it or the way it should be done. Um, you know, right now I would have them as a slightly over 500 schedule. Um, right now the NCAA has them, I think at a 0.478, uh, this last week, uh, based on the data sheets. Um, so that's the, we've kind of used, um, you know, casually the 500 mark as a kind of Mendoza line of sorts, where if you're under this, you're kind of in trouble. Just, they might discard your resume based on, um, low strength of schedule. Um, and they probably don't exactly do that, but, um, it's, it's going to be a difference in, in Yeshiva for like a 0.03 SOS difference right now. And if they're going to be on the table, um, come selection Sunday, that could be a big deal to them. Well, and that's a huge deal to be blunt. Um, because that can make a difference in, in, well, between a team being viable for an at large or, or not is so, I hate to ask this question. Is the SOS now a number we shouldn't be even considering, or is it because the math is the math, we still have to consider it uh, straight up? Uh, that's that's tricky. I think they still have to consider it. I think we need to be be clear on what the SOS is, right? You should always be using the strength of schedule and the winning percentage to inform each other. You should never be looking at just a strength of schedule and say, this team is good because they have a, a, a 620 uh, SOS. That number on its own doesn't mean very much. Um, I don't think we should, I don't know that we should completely discard it based on this, this weird math. I would say for the vast majority of teams, the numbers are still relatively close, uh, especially, you know, in the middle, there's outliers on either end. Um, so, if, if, if the committee knew about this and they chose to maybe discount some of the strength of schedules, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame them for that. But it's sort of hard to say that, uh, you know, this is the criteria. This is what we said. This is how the numbers are being computed. Uh, and yet we shouldn't use the number. So um, I don't exactly know how to how to speak to that. I'm not an expert on maybe how they should use it. But I think we should just all be aware that the, the to me, the numbers aren't being um, executed how they're being intended to. All right, so I've got a couple questions from, from the, uh, those listening in before I get to another a- aspect of this. The first one is, um, do we have a timeline of when this all went into place? If memory serves, do you remember when we added the SOS? Because I think the SOS came in, and then the home away multiplier came in second. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't know the exact date, so I'm going to be wrong here. I think the SOS came in maybe 10, 12 years ago, and the multiplier came in six, seven years ago. I feel like it was further back than that. But you might be... Uh, it I, it I, might I, be. I, I would have to go back and look. But I, I. But you're right. We had several years with no multiplier, and then we've had um, a, a while now with this system of the multiplier. I just remember one team in particular in my region, when the SOS came out, they played a ton of games at home. They were they were buoyed by their SOS. And we should point out this replaced the QOWI, and I, there may have been something in between. 
do not talk to us about the quality of wins index. We do not want to go down that rabbit hole ever again. I don't remember if there was something in between. Then the SOS came out. So I want to say the SOS has been around. Oh, it, it could be 14, 15 years 16 now. 16 some odd years. But then there was, I know this one particular team, their SOS was huge. They looked like a great team, but they played maybe two games non-conference at most out of their gym. They have two, two tournaments in particular. And it got, and they weren't the only ones, but it's the one that's in my head. And there was this frustration. You can't sit at home and then be rewarded by staying at home in the tournament. And so the SOS multiplier came into play because I remember they were forced to go out. The first year they didn't do it, but second, third, we started to see them move out the door. So it's been probably, the multiplier has probably been in place, and I could look up this team if I need to, but I bet you the multiplier has been in place 12 some odd years. My question to you is, when do you think the math changed? Um, I, I, I don't exactly remember the timeline. It would be hard for me to say when, when, things, um, when things shifted. Um, I do remember... Um, you know, I'd, I'd have to look back in my archives when we, you helped me get in touch with some of the NCAA stats department. Um, my memory serves that that was about four or five years ago, but, um, I, I don't exactly remember at this point, but I'm going to have to apologize. No, that's okay. Cause I think it was one of those where we felt comfortable that we knew the number and then suddenly it wasn't adding up. You had to kind of sleuth it out, right? Yeah, I always like the first set of regional rankings and the data sheets to come out because um, I put my numbers out throughout the year. People like uh, Bob Quillman use them and try to predict the Pool C uh, final final results. Um, and then I have like this panic, like, is this actually going to match up is what I put out uh, right. And <laughs> yeah. one year it wasn't right. Um, and we had I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what they did. Um, and, I, and that was probably like five, six years ago or so. Um, and this is kind of the, the genesis of trying to chase down why the multiplier has been applied in the way it is and, and how it might be uh, affecting the team schedules. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here uh, or, and maybe use a, a strong word, but why is the way they're doing the math wrong? Um, it really, um, like I said, because they're, because they're adding the multiplier, it's, it's all about how the multiplier is implemented. Um, so when you take, take each each team, so, um, um, Calvin has played against hope and hope is 12 and 12, and we're going to add the multiplier for their road game. 1.25 times hopes, 12 wins gets you, uh, whatever that is, uh, 15. And then we're going to, we're going to add the multiplier to their total games played, which maybe is 24, let's say, um, then that gives you 30. So that component becomes 15 over 30. Um, so that what that ends up doing is just makes their schedule overall bigger on your resume rather than more difficult on your resume. So um, it's 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 like you're trying to fill your schedule up. Uh, you're trying to build a house and you've got, uh, you know, you've got large containers and you got small containers and the multiplier just makes the size of the container bigger. It's not, it's not making it, it more difficult. It's not make, filling it with heavier materials. It's just making it bigger. It's taking up more space. So when you play a cupcake team um, and you play them on the road, it makes that look bigger on your schedule. So your schedule looks more cupcakey. That's kind of what it does. So flip it. What, how should we, how should it be used? Really, it should just be applied to the opponent's winning percentage. So, so if they're 12 if, and 5, it should be on whatever 12 over 17 equals. 
it should be uh, correct. Yes. Interesting. All right. This you and I've talked a lot and I'm now understanding it even better that trust me, Matt and I've talked a lot over the years and I'm only now fully. I mean, I'm never I tell people all the time when I talk about this at some point I'm in the weeds because as good as I was at math, I loved math. This is this is a this is a road too far. Um, all right. So let me flip this on its head a little bit. Is there a way of doing something for a strength of schedule in Division Three that could work? Have you ever come up with something you think could work on a strength of schedule basis? And, and if you have, what would it look like? Um, I haven't dived too far into this. Um, I, personally, I like um, more efficiency-based metrics. I kind of understand the NCAA is not going to use this to um, probably select teams. Um, I, I, in addition to running this kind of strength of schedule data, I kind of create my own um, efficiency ratings for teams, kind of like Ken Pomeroy does for Division mm-hmm. One. Um, I personally Ken like Palm, that. For those, real Ken quick, Palm. Ken Palm, Palm for everybody, the short yeah. name, yeah. Um, I really like that as kind of a better view of team strength. And from that, you can get maybe a, a true, truer, in my mind, strength of schedule. Um, that being said, I don't know that the current system is completely broken. If we just fixed a little bit of the math, I think it would make more sense. It would be uh, it would be a reasonable system. Um, I think right now the math just makes the strength of schedule um you know, somewhat untrustworthy. And we should point out the women, again, not using the home away multiplier – their math is their math. It's fine. We, we really don't have an issue on the women's side of this. It's more on the men's, and it's about how the math's done. It's not necessarily how the committee's using it, and I don't want to point that out. That all said, um, is efficiency really telling us also strength of schedule, though? Because efficiency also is kind of telling you how a team is doing in performance, and that's more like an RPI, right? Certainly the efficiency metrics for a team would be just their performance. Um, but you can figure out what are the, what are the efficiency ratings, um, you know, offense, defense, um, and then the, the margin between those two for each of your opponents. And then you could figure out kind of how strong your, your, each team is on your schedule. So from there okay. you could get a, a schedule strength, but, so but yeah, take the efficiency the rating. Yeah. You'd take a next step. Okay. Um, but certainly the, the main efficiency rating would be just that team's strength. So with this in mind, knowing that the SOS number may not be absolutely as solid um, as we'd like it, that, that, that it, it's somewhat flawed, is there a recommendation you would make to the RACs or to the National Committee who have to use those numbers, and they're not going to ignore the SOS, but would you say to them, hey, just because the team's below 500 doesn't really mean they have a weak schedule, would you go that far? Yeah, or, I might. Or Matt, real I, quick, I, I, let me flip it. If a team's really got a high SOS, maybe that's not a true statement of how good their schedule is. Yeah, I think I think it's maybe more critical that they dive into the numbers. Um, you know, the, the strength of schedule, the winning percentage are just two of the primary criteria. I think right. they're going to have to use it all. Um, I think they're going to have to look at where it is. Um, and they have in the secondary criteria, they have non-conference strength of schedule. To, so they can see how much their current conference is pulling down their schedule strength. Did they try to schedule outside of their conference? Um, so can they use some of the secondary criteria to make a decision? Um, so in that case, I, I wouldn't throw it out. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say devalue it, but I think we're, they're really going to have to use all the criteria and look into it and maybe um, just not trust that at face value all the time. Makes Okay, I like that point. Um, 
by the way, the non-conference SOS, I get those numbers from you. I made that argument with somebody. They're like, well, why isn't X team ranked? I said, well, you know, their SOS is a 447, I think it was. And then someone made a comment about, you know, conference. I said, well, ironically, their non-conference schedules are 367. So really, in, they had five games and they did nothing with them. Um, and again, I understand scheduling is hard. Uh, one other thing I've talked to you about is I feel like people use the SOS incorrectly. They, they feel like it's some strength of the team. Um, and I think when we've had some at-large picks, we've had you know, crazy, not crazy picks, but ones outside the, the uh, norms. We've had teams with, with a number of losses, you know, a, a winning percentage below two-thirds. You know, they didn't even win two-thirds of the games. But their SOS is staggering. And I've had people make the argument, well, it just shows you how good they are. Why do we do that? Yeah, we, I think we need to be very clear on that. The strength of schedule is not a sense of uh, individual team strength. So just because you have a high strength of schedule does not mean you're a good team. I can I can make you a really strong schedule and you're going to win none of those games. Um, and that doesn't mean you're very good. I can make you an easy schedule and you're going to win all their all those games. That might not mean you're very good. Um, so I think it's important that we're always using the strength of schedule uh, when it's done right in conjunction in conjunction with the winning percentage to make sure that we're making a fair assessment. Um, we've gotten into the um, you know some of the teams this year, some of the UW schools, Stevens Point and Oshkosh are kind of in that boat where they have really high winning percent or really high strength of schedules, but pretty low. Uh, winning percentages below 65%. Uh, they did not show up being ranked in the last regional rankings. Um, but Oshkosh was one of those teams a few years back yes. that kind of set a new bar for how low your winning percentage can be with a high strength of schedule. Yeah, um, they did. And that, that's, a difficult, that's a difficult decision for the committee. Uh, they were, I think, a good team that year. Um, but is it fair to leave out uh, a team that might be uh, pushing a 90% winning percentage uh, that has a strength of schedule in the 475? Um, it's really hard to compare those two uh, and I know the committee was given rules of thumb a while back about the .03 oh, strength yeah. of schedule equals two, two wins. Yeah. Um, and then that was stretched out to, to .09 equals six games or something like that. And that's just really hard to do. Um, I tried to punch some of my own numbers about what the comparisons should be. I don't even really know the right answer. I think that the committee just needs to be um, consistent on how they're going to do it um, and, and, and just decide for themselves what they're looking to reward and how they're going to weigh each of those criteria. Um, I think it is really difficult to, to include a team who's won fewer than 70% of their games um, in the tournament above a team who's won maybe 85, 90% of their games. Um, but I, I'm also against drawing hard lines. I don't like to say sure. if you're, if your strength, the schedule is below 500, then you're out. If your yeah. winning percentage is below 700, then you're out. Um, I think, throwing all those teams into the mix. That's why we have committees. Um, I think uh, Sam Atkinson said that during his interview during the Hoopsville Marathon. Yes. You have the committee because you're going to make some of those decisions. You're going to dig into all the criteria. Um, and I think at that point, you're, you're looking at the wins versus regionally ranked opponents. Uh, you're looking at the secondary criteria, too, in trying to decide which team has a strong schedule because they happen to be in a strong conference and which team has a strong schedule because they went out there and they made it happen in the non-conference. And I think, I think maybe they might look to reward those teams. Um, I don't know exactly how they do it, but that's kind of my guess. No, no, no. I, and I like how you're, and I agree. I don't think there's some hard lines. I like the idea of saying, Hey, if you're below 500 in your SOS, you're in some danger. If you're below 667 or 700 in your winning percentage, you're in some danger. We can go around in circles about the Oshkosh decision. And, and then the other one that came after that, ironically, both of them were, or coincidentally, they were both in WIAC schools. Before I let you go, though, can you explain to me the NESCAC is one that always drives people crazy. Um, their SOS 
in part because they don't tr- play a traditional double round robin. Some do. Um, but why is their numbers always driven so high? Is it a scheme to put you on the spot a little bit? And how do we better understand those SOS numbers out of the NESCAC? Yeah, the NESCAC's the interesting situation. They probably play, I don't know if this is right, the fewest conference games of yes. any of any any conference well, division. Outside three. the ACAA uh, that doesn't play any. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I should say the NESCAC's obviously a very good league. They're one of the best leagues in D3 right at the top. If you had to name the top three or four leagues, they're they're right in there. Um, but whenever you play more conference games, you have a bigger conference slate. Uh, a team in your conference has to win and a team in your conference has to lose. Um, and that is always going to drive your conference's strength of schedule more toward 500. So it's just it's not necessarily going to be higher for the NESCAC because they play fewer, uh, but it's going to it's going to give them an opportunity to be more extreme than other other conferences. Um, the NESCAC being a good league, they like to play other teams, uh, other top teams and conferences in the region and around the area. Um, those teams are not quite as good as they are. So if you're fifth in the NESCAC, you can beat the leader of the the GNAC or something like that uh, uh, more times. So sure. I don't know if it's a, if they can beat up on the top teams in other leagues in the Northeast region uh, more than other teams can. And that kind of games the system a little bit, um, if I could say that. But if it, it, it can come down to if they're not playing as many conference games, then that just gives them the opportunity to to push that schedule up sure. without anything bringing it back toward 500. And obviously they're going to want to play good teams. They're In, in general, they're not going to want to play bad teams because it can result in bad tendencies and bad habits and, and all of that. But with that in mind, is that another example of where the committee's got to be diving into the numbers? Because that SOS is so high. I'll, I'll say this. It's almost like the SOS is on a bell curve. There's a certain area there where you can trust it. But when you get to the extremes, at some point you got to go, OK, let's put that aside and look elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's another uh, area where you could go into the secondary criteria if they're allowed to and look at the non-conference strength of schedule and just compare mm-hmm. that to a team who didn't have as many opportunities to go outside of their conference and say, you know, conference games aside, um, how even were these teams' schedules? And uh, you can maybe decide not to reward their total in-division strength of schedule uh, because it was buoyed more by the fact that they didn't play as many conference games. Um, they are still, I think, the ones with high strength of schedules are still going out and playing good teams and should be rewarded, um, but they just don't have that pull toward 500 that other conferences have. Sure, uh, and I appreciate you kind of breaking that one down. Uh, I know some people get frustrated. It's just the nature of the beast, as it were. Uh, Ryan Scott's tuned in. He says he finally gets it. His question is, um, it se- why doesn't the NCA make what seems like a pretty simple change have we ever gotten an answer on that? I don't know if you've ever tried to get back in touch with the stats, guys. I know the avenues I've gone, they hit roadblocks. We don't even know why the change was made in the first place, but it feels really crazy that they're not looking at trying to fix it. Or And I, I realize I may be putting some words in their mouths. Yeah, we just haven't really heard anything back. Um, it's been several years now. Um, you helped me get in touch with some folks at the NCAA. We corresponded over email. I don't even think I was talking directly to anyone in the stats department. It was oh. uh, probably some manner of liaison in between. And yeah. it was, I, I would send some numbers and some explanation. Um, and as people are, are hearing right now on the show, it's it's hard to say verbally what exactly the, right. is the math, right? It's, it's, it's awesome to talk about numbers over the air. Everyone loves to hear numbers. Yeah, exactly. um, it's difficult in email. To, to explain exactly what's happening, at least for me. Um, 
so without actually talking face to face to someone, I wasn't actually able to um, see much change happen. I kind of got a response at one point saying um, they think that what they're doing is correct or is or is what they want to happen. And that it kind of got dropped at that point. Um, I wasn't convinced. I'm still not convinced. Yeah, no, um, I'm with you. So it would be it would be nice to get some sort of direction or answer from the NCAA saying that they're in, interested in it, looking at it and, um, you know, confirmation that it's right. Um, I don't believe it's right. Um, but yeah, we, we don't know. We don't know what they're doing. I'll say this. Uh, my phone's had a few messages. I have a feeling it's going to go up the chain a little bit. Not now. It's, it's an off season thing. Not in a bad way, Matt, not in a bad way. Um, all right. I've taken a ton of your time. We've used a ton of time here on the show, much more than I expected, but it's such a fascinating story. I didn't want to go too far in the weeds, but you've done a great job of letting us understand it better. I appreciate this. I should point out two things. One, that 0.03 to two games, which somehow got extrapolated out to 0.06 to nine or six games or whatever it was, uh, that's been done away from. Uh, the committee stopped using that last year. They're not using it this year. It's nice if we want to use it, but we're just going into a rabbit hole we don't need to. The second thing I should point out, this multiplier isn't just used in men's basketball. There's other sports. I think one of the soccers uses it. One sport, I think, started to use it and then it's gone away from it. So this is not just a men's basketball issue. It just happens to be we're a men's and women's basketball show. Um, Matt, any other thoughts you wanted to present about the SOS before I let you go? Uh, the math or how it's used, how it's understood to help those out there understand it better, including maybe those who have to use it themselves. Uh, no, just, I mean, I always encourage people to kind of dive in and try to figure out the details for themselves. I get a lot of questions on email and on, on Twitter about what I do. Um, obviously, um, mine are not official. My rate, my rankings are not official. I use the RPI just as a sorting mechanism, not because the NCAA actually uses it. Um, but and also understanding it's just one of, of five criteria. It, it just happens to be one of the most opaque to me. And that's kind of why I started digging into the numbers and creating my own spreadsheets to, to come up with it for the division three community, because I think it's fun to look at and talk about. And then we can kind of see what the criteria are that the committees might be using. So I think it's, it was just kind of a fun project for me. And I'm glad that it's kind of grown a bit over the years. Grown. Sir, I, I feel like it's a monster for you as much as this baby has become a monster for me. Yeah, it takes a little bit of time, but it's kind of fun. And I, it's it's because I found myself doing it anyway that I just wanted to present sure. it to uh, to the rest of Division Three. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. We have a link to your, your math, uh, to the SOS numbers on our website at d3hoops.com. Go under the news column. On the men's side, you'll see the strength of schedule. On the women's side, too, just sends you to two different places. The women stays on our site. The men's goes to your site. Um, quickly, your breakdown of a lot of this is also on the on the Pool C chat boards on d3boards.com under under posting up, which is Hoops' side. But do you break it down elsewhere that you can, we can send people to? Um, the breakdowns are really just the numbers that you already linked to. The Pool C board is great. Um, I personally don't chime into that as much as I used to, just given uh, time constraints. But um, some others, you know, fill the board up. I chime in when I can. Um, Bob Quillman. Um, uh, First and foremost is always posting his weekly breakdowns in there, uh, trying to predict the number of Drew Pasteur on Twitter. Um, D3 Bubble um, always breaks down his numbers, too. So those those folks are great. Everyone in the Division Three community is great sharing their work, sharing their numbers. Um, and it's just it's just fun to participate. Uh, real quick, though, you did break down where this math may be a, a semi messed up, correct? 
Yeah, I had a I had a blog post a little bit when I was more active several years ago um, about the the funky math. So I might post that back out on my Twitter just to kind of if cool. people want to understand a little bit more in depth, I kind of showed some examples um, in there as I understood it seven years ago, which is kind of roughly the same uh, as now. But um, I'll I'll retweet that out tonight, and uh, people can check that out if they want. I'm actually putting your uh, Twitter on the byline. I should have had it up there sooner. Uh, FFT Mag is how you can find uh, Mr. Snyder. Sir, really appreciate the time. Again, you spent more than I expected, um, but I think it's an in-depth... I've already had a number of people uh, message me that this was a tremendous understanding of it. I appreciate it. I'm probably going Rarely I go back to listen to a segment. I think I'm going to do that with this one, um, mainly to figure out where I'm editing out the bad audio. <laughs> uh, we'll figure that out later. Um, but, sir, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. Thanks for letting us understand this better. We'll see in the off-season if it gets augmented, but it helps us understand why the SOS exists, how it, to use it properly, um, and maybe how not to overuse it is a better way of saying it. Uh, any final thoughts? No, just that this is my favorite time of Division Three season. Um, regional rankings, uh, the data's out in full force. Conference tournaments are coming out. Um, NCAA selection, so this is just, just a great time to be a Division Three fan. I agree with you. This is my favorite time of year as well. Thanks so much, Matt. Take care of yourself. Good luck. I'm sorry about your, your nights this year, um, but maybe next year? Uh, we can still win that conference tournament, get the AQ, and, you know, who knows from there. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Hey, take care. Enjoy the DeVos Center. We'll talk to you soon. See you, Dave. Matt Snyder joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsaw Hotline via Skype. Appreciate him taking the time. Really fun to chat with him. Um, I'm going to wrap up the show at this point, not take a break, because it's insane to do otherwise. So um, thank you for tuning in, everybody. I want to thank all of our coaches, Steve Lamy, uh, Lamy at Grove City, um, Coach Robinson uh, Griggs at Vassar. also want to thank uh, Tanya England at UW-Eau Claire, Justin Heinsen at Loris, and, of course, Matt Snyder. I want to thank all the sports information directors as well, Briggsy. That's what he's known as, so we'll call him Briggsy. Briggsy at Grove City. Um, I want to thank, um, let's see, it's Emily at Eau Claire. At Vassar, it was Amy. Great to see Amy get the job at Vassar, by the way. Just a behind-the-scenes story there. I'm glad to see she she's at Vassar. At um, Loris, oh my goodness, how did I forget Loris? Uh, I was talking to Justin so much that I, that I misplaced Loris. As a, and I apologize, that's just... Bad on my part, uh, but thanks to them for their help. Uh, Matt didn't get any SID help, but I'll thank him nonetheless and anybody who helped him do it. Um, that's going to wrap up our show really late tonight. Apologize, but we'll get going. Uh, a reminder, Sunday show not airing. Uh, I've got another gig that I need to work. By the way, fun, fun, haha story. Somebody watching the show decided to have a little fun with our donations, make it a palindrome, if you noticed. We're up to 2300 plus, closing in on 2400 Notice the goal is 5 we're not that close. So we got by Monday to get that up. But funny, funny, haha. Same person who wanted to have a little fun with, with the number during the marathon, too, by the way, I'll add. Um, again, I've got a great idea to change this audio board. It's going to cost me $600. That's, that's, that's a significant bill. And uh, I want to do it to help solve some of these audio issues that we have. Um, because it would make it simpler, to be honest. It's a fascinating little piece of device. I want to use it. And uh, to be blunt... We didn't get as much advertising this year. There's certain organizations that decided not to advertise this year. Uh, we had struggles because of my health and distractions getting our advertising system out the door at the beginning of the year. It's things we want to improve. We, I, I, I'm not the kind of guy who likes asking for money. Um, so consider that. Um, I did fix the donation buttons. Apparently they were awry. 
I fixed them on tonight's show. I will fix them moving forward. I'll try and go back and fix them. But we've tweeted them out. We've used them, put them on Facebook as well. We put them on Instagram. Please look for them. They're through PayPal, so don't be thrown off by that. Um, and there you go. So Sunday show will be postponed to Monday, 7 o'clock Eastern time. We will do our normal Monday show, probably a little top 25. I still plan to dive into some other topics. There's topics about officiating that I want to get into uh, by the end of the season and some other kind of nuanced topics like we had with Matt. So look for those as well. And a reminder, in a two and a half weeks time, we'll be doing our selection show on Sunday and then the matchups and the brackets come out on Monday. We're debating about doing a matchup show on Monday night. And I'm not going to do it right after the. We're going to postpone to Monday night. Um, there's a lot of reasons behind that. I don't think we need to get on the air immediately after those brackets are released. I think we can give it time and go out on on Sunday, and then we head into the tournament. So there's a quick synopsis. We'll get more of our schedule out there in the coming days. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. I'm checking to make sure there aren't any last minute questions. Um, somewhere along the lines, kind of a quiet night in the chatting rooms, but I appreciate you all on the same. Um, and there you go, folks. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Hoopsville. I want to thank our partners at D3Hoops.com, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. Great shirt, by the way. Love this one. National Association of Basketball Coaches. Of course, Blue Frame Technology. Blue Frame is not only our, our sponsor of our hotline, which we greatly appreciate, but they pr- provide this streaming platform, which you can see on uh, OTT, which means if you have a Roku, an Amazon Fire, an Apple TV, uh, or any Android-connected device, you can go look up the Team One Sports app, and call us in via that. Watch us on the big screen, as it were. You can also watch us through our D- team one doc- team1sports.com slash Hoopsville page as well. Watch former shows. Also, our podcasts are pretty popular. I want to thank that. Hey, maybe we can get a sponsor for our podcast. How about that? Uh, thanks for everybody for tuning in. Appreciate it. We'll see you back here again Monday night, 7 o'clock Eastern. At that point, we will have new top 25s and looking at our second week in regional rankings. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. Remember, if you want to talk Division Three, you've got to watch Hoopsville. Good night, everybody.